Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, December 5th, 2013. It's going to be a modified format today. I want to tell you that up at the top of the program. We're going to do two things. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, like I said, at the very opening of the program, we're going to have a modified format today, and I apologize for that, uh, but you know, I made an executive decision. There's some things that need to be talked about, and uh, you know, it, if unless you've been living under a rock uh, or you have no access to the internet and social media, um, then you um, already know that uh, yesterday, Janet Mefford on her program. She, uh, you know, took like 35, 40 seconds and she issued an apology regarding the Mark Driscoll plagiarism controversy. Uh, She did not apologize for the evidence that came out. She basically apologized and said that she should have never done the interview and everything on her website, on her Facebook, on her Twitter that pertains to the Mark Driscoll plagiarism controversy disappeared. Janet Mefford has been taken out of the fight, if you would. And I want to talk about what that means, because I have a different perspective on this, and uh, a perspective that I I understand uh, is going to be one that uh, may be controversial, but I find myself in a unique position, and that is, is that I find myself in the position to be able to say to folks, I think what we're dealing with here is a lot more than meets the eye. If you remember the movie Jaws, you know, you remember the movie Jaws, um, you know, I think it's going way back, um, that uh, there was a shark attack. And when the shark attacked this this girl at the opening of the movie, part of her remains washed up on shore. And uh, the the classic character, Matt Hooper, was brought in to to examine the remains. And, of course, everyone was thinking, you know, basically the mayor and the politicians, they did not want it to be 
a shark attack because if it was a shark attack, it might affect business. Uh, but uh, you know, Matt Hooper and examining the remains. Uh, basic, basically debunks their primary theory that it wasn't a shark attack; it was a boating accident. You remember, you remember that uh, that that classic line. In fact, if you don't remember, here's um, here's that line from the movie Jaws. Here we go. Well, this is not a boat accident. It wasn't any propeller. It wasn't any coral reef. And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. Yeah. See, I just think of me as Matt Hooper at this point. You know, I don't think we're dealing with a boating accident. I think we're dealing with a shark attack. And I say this as somebody who has experience, and I mean a lot of experience when it comes to these type of what we'll call a shark attack for right now. And here's let me lay out my credentials. Um, those of you who may are new to Pirate Christian Radio and fighting for the faith may not understand the history of how Pirate Christian Radio came to be. And I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you a part of the story um, because it involves uh, Jeff Schwartz and Todd Wilkin of the of the radio program issues, etc. Which, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, you know, back in the day, it, it's still like my favorite program. But I mean, I, I listened to it religiously. Um, you know, back in the day, I don't have as much time to be able to do that, and I do bemoan that fact because it, it, I, I love the program. But a uh, long time ago, okay, you, let's go back five and a half years ago. No, in fact, let's go back five and three quarter years ago, or five and two thirds years ago. Um, I tuned it. I went to go get my regular installment of my favorite radio program issues, etc. It was Holy Week and the Internet was a buzz. The reason why the Internet was a buzz is because the word had come down that issues, etc. My favorite radio program had been canceled, canceled by the powers that be in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And I thought this is bizarre. And, uh, you know, and of course, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the cancellation of issues, etc. Now, as somebody who, um, let's just put it this way, has a lot of inside baseball knowledge and information regarding the cancellation of issues, etc. Let me kind of unfold the story for you. Now, at that time, Gerald Kieschnick was the president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And Gerald Kieschnick's big legacy building project within the LCMS was this program named Ablaze. Okay. Now, let me tell you about Ablaze. Ablaze basically was a turnkey, purpose-driven, seeker-driven church solution um, that came to be within the LCMS. Uh, by my best reckoning, um, and I could be wrong on this, uh, through church um, consultants who were working with Leadership Network. Now, I still have the documents that that prove that during the uh, Kishnik administration that there was information sharing going on between the Kishnik administration and Leadership Network. Leadership Network is one of the three primary, and, and, I, and this is how I refer to them, Druckerite institutions out there 
promoting Drucker's uh, ecclesiastical model, okay, otherwise known as the seeker-driven slash purpose-driven church movement. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back to the May 11th, 2012 episode of Fighting for the Faith and listen to the lecture that I presented entitled, Resistance is Futile, You Will Be Assimilated by the Community, okay? I lay all this out there, but there's three primary organizations that are Druckerite organizations. At least historically, this has been the case. The first is the Purpose Driven Community, which is run by Rick Warren and the folks over there at Saddleback. The second is the Willow Creek Association, run by Bill Hybels and the folks out there at Willow Creek. The third a Druckerite institution that sells the same basic ideas um, but just under different names is an organization known as Leadership Network. Um, the, the gentleman who established that is a gentleman by the name of Bob Buford, and he's on record as basically saying that uh, Peter Drucker was the the brains, the head behind the whole operation of getting Leadership Network up and running. He was just the legs and the arms. Okay, this is you know kind of a famous quote of his. And um, the documents that I am now in possession of show that Leadership Network and the, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, Jerry Kieschnick's administration, they were data sharing, working in conjunction with each other. And it is my professional opinion that the whole Ablaze program was nothing less than a turnkey solution brought into the Missouri Senate through Leadership Network's church consultants that were working with uh, the Kieschnick administration at the time. Now, that being the case, it's important to also note this, that um, one of the reasons I loved Issues Etc., you know, back before the days of Pirate Christian Radio, is because they would take to task many of the ecclesiastical nonsense and ideas uh, of the seeker-driven movement. In fact, um, let's just say that uh, while Kieschnick was embracing seeker-driven methodology and ecclesiology through the Ablaze movement, there was KFUO, the uh, the AM radio station owned and run by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, with their flagship radio program, Issues Etc., on a daily and weekly basis, undermining the very core tenets and ecclesiology of the seeker-driven model. Okay, And the one thing you got to understand about how seeker-driven leaders work, they do not. Under any circumstances, and I mean this, they do not under any circumstances allow anybody to dissent from their vision, anybody to dissent from what it is that they are doing or want to accomplish. And so it is my professional opinion that Jerry Kieschnick, who had been coached into becoming a seeker-driven leader of sorts, um, that's how he viewed himself, and he was into casting vision, that uh, he could not stand, stand at all, the, uh, the, the constant disunity and uh, questioning of the methodologies that he was trying to bring into the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod from the highest office. And therefore, um, he found a way to administratively get somebody to cut the Issues Etc. radio program, okay? Because that's how it 
works. These people are not interested in coexisting. They're not interested in getting along. They, they will not tolerate anybody questioning or challenging their vision, their, their methods, the things that they want to accomplish, and issues, etc., was doing nothing but constantly, without naming the Ablaze movement, completely decimating on the radio program the core tenets of the entire Ablaze movement. So, what does the seeker-driven leader do? He shoots the wolf, that's what they're trained to do. They think that anybody who's a dissenter is a wolf. And so what did Kishnik do? And yes, I know I'm blaming him uh, because, well, ultimately the buck always stops at the top, does it not? It does. Uh, they, well, issues, etc. was shot in the head on, you know, Monday of Holy Week, you know, back in 2008. That's what happened. Now, let me tell you a little bit more of the story. When that happened, you know, you could say I went into um, war mode, right? Now, at the time, I wasn't a radio guy. I was still just a blogger, uh, but I became one of the bloggers at a very high-traffic website, uh, you know, a protest blog, if you would, that was one of a few that emerged at the time, that kind of cropped up at the time, um, in the name of my blog was saved the LCMS. And uh, as a result of what I was, one of the things I was engaging in was real-time analysis of the excuses and things being said by the, the brass, the top brass of the LCMS at the time. And as a result of my let's say analysis and you know pushing things the way that I was pushing them, um, somebody saw fit to make sure that I came into be came to be in possession of a very important financial document. Now, I, again, just work with me. I'm telling you a story. Um, you know, because at the time the LCMS was saying that the reason why they had to cancel issues, etc., is because as a program it was way too expensive. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't afford to keep issues etc on the air, which by the way didn't make any sense because issues etc was the only program on KFUO that that literally had a fundraising strategy, had in, had, had set up the Reformation Club, they had people who were regular Reformation Club members, they were bringing in all kinds of revenue um, so it that let's just say that that excuse by the LCMS top brass didn't make any sense. It, in fact, it smelled, yeah, like a complete and utter falsehood. And so um, people were questioning the claims of the LCMS top brass regarding how much issues, et cetera, cost. And uh, the figure that they put out just was absolutely preposterous. And lo and behold, I surreptitiously received from an anonymous person a, uh, a, a, a financial document that revealed the true cost of issues, etc. And I was able to share um, my document and make sure that I understood it uh, through the help of um, you know, some other people. Let's just put it that way. Okay. All of that is to basically tell you a story, and that's this, that I am very familiar with, uh, with when um, radio programs or personalities um, are experiencing 
censorship. Okay, and it is my professional opinion that what we're looking at at the Janet, Janet Mefford case is literally a classic case of well, uh, media censorship. You know that that would be what I would professionally say is the case. Now I would also bring into account here. And by the way, just let me finish the story a little bit here. Um, that uh, you know, shortly after issues etc. was canceled, I was on the phone with uh, Todd and Jeff, and uh, you know, and I wrote their business plan that that they used to help uh, raise funds. I wrote their first budgets for them, um, and uh, and at that time, Pirate Christian Radio was already existent as a um, as a business plan, and so you know, bringing is you know issues etc. back on the air and launching Pirate Christian Radio. Well, that that was a no-brainer, and I have to tell you this: that one of the you know one of the primary reasons why I launched Pirate Christian Radio. People ask the question, why is it called Pirate Christian Radio? Well, uh, let me tell you the story again. If you haven't heard it, the reason why Pirate Christian Radio is called Pirate Christian Radio is because early on, when I wanted to do Christian radio, I had some ideas for some pilot programs, including Fighting for the Faith. And at the time, I didn't know anything about radio. I mean, I yes, I was a, an entrepreneur. Yes, you know, I have a business degree, um, all of that. But I, I, I didn't understand the industry. I didn't understand how it worked, let alone Christian um, talk radio. What I did is I met with um, a, a Christian radio executive who worked for one of the uh, one of the Christian radio stations down in Southern California, and I asked him to meet with me uh, so that I can tell him about the ideas that I had for you know some radio programs and get his feedback. You know, is this tenable? You know, what would be you know how would that work? Because you know I, I wasn't at that point you know necessarily looking to purchase radio time. But that was one of the options that was on the table. So met with him, shared with him my ideas, um, kind of laid out the format for Fighting for the Faith, told him that, you know, one of the things I intended to do would be to review sermons and play sound bites and, and name names and stuff like that. And, and and he leveled with me. He was just straightforward. And he basically said, he said, no, this is not really going to work. Um, it's it's really not going to work, and um, you know, it, it, he laid out all the reasons why I shouldn't do this, and how my radio program would create controversy that would ultimately lead to me being you know off the air. Okay, you know, basically he made it clear I would have a short time in radio, and then he explained to me you know how radio works, who they're trying to program for, what they're trying to do uh, in their programming. And it became very clear to me in my conversation with him that Christian radio, at least in Southern California, really wasn't interested in preaching the truth. They were interested in, well, um, marketing the latest and greatest ideas and merchandise coming through the evangelical world. That the, the real job of Christian radio is pretty much um, product promotion, if you would. And uh, which is the reason why uh, so much of Christian radio kind of sounds like what I describe on my website as sissy oprified religiosity. And the reason why is because those who are successful at Christian radio, they have a role to play. Their role is to tell us about the happy things 
that um, that are being you know manufactured by Christian merchandisers uh, to tell us about the latest and greatest book or craze or fad or whatever, and to basically that's their job. Truth, hard hitting theology, apologetics, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's that's really not gonna go and 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 the and the last thing you want to do is find yourself critiquing somebody whose book is the, the the radio station is really trying to promote you see that i was told in no uncertain terms that that's you know that 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 would really be a problem so yeah i you know at that point kind of seeing the handwriting on the wall and hearing what Christian radio had become, because in the course of my lifetime, it really switched from you know being able to hear good Christian programming to basically being fed a mouthful of soybeans or tofu, um, you know, without any without any kind of flavor to it whatsoever. I decided that uh, it was time to basically say it's time to create a pirate station. And by pirate station, what I mean is a station that broadcasts outside of the system because the system is broken. That's the idea. That's the idea behind pirate. That's how the name Pirate Christian Radio came to be. That's why PCR exists. So coming back to all of this, okay, I'm somebody who's very familiar with shark attacks. Let me tell you about another one ever so briefly. Think back with me, if you would, back to January, February of 2012. Do you remember? That was the time when the Elephant Room 2, Elephant Room Round 2 occurred, and Mark Driscoll and James McDonald committed the great crime, and I still refer to it as that because neither of them have repented for it, the crime of basically giving the right hand of fellowship to T.D. Jakes, uh, the modalist and word of faith heretic, all right? And there was a lot of controversy regarding Elephant Room 2 on the blogosphere. But there was a radio personality who for six years in the Detroit area on Christian radio station there in Detroit, drive time at that, he had a pretty decent following, he was challenging some of the things regarding Elephant Room 2 and specifically had had some harsh criticism of Jack Graham. Now, the radio personality that I'm referring to, his name is Paul Edwards. Now, if you're familiar with the controversy, you may not be familiar with it. There was a public blow-up, if you would, uh, regarding uh, this, the things, the, the critiques offered by Paul Edwards. Paul Edwards was told, in no uncertain terms, he was to apologize for what he said regarding Jack Graham and Elephant Room 2, and Paul Edwards refused to publicly apologize. And Paul Edwards' program disappeared. Paul Edwards was never heard from again. Paul Edwards was given an ultimatum. He wouldn't bow to the ultimatum. And Paul Edwards found himself, uh, well, no longer in radio. That is what we call another shark attack. Now, let's take a look at the facts regarding Janet Mefford. Janet Mefford, she pointed out in an interview with Mark Driscoll, 
that, well, that uh, she, in her professional journalistic opinion, had plagiarized uh, some of the work of Dr. Peter Jones. Now, what Mefford apologized for, she says she shouldn't have done the interview, that, you know, she should have gone to Tyndale House and pointed it out and basically uh, done this privately. That's what she's saying. Okay, but I would like to point something out, and that's this: as uh, as early as twenty four hours prior to her public apology, Janet Mefford, on her own Facebook wall and on Twitter, was still defending her pointing out Driscoll's plagiarism. Uh, Janet Mefford's producer, his name is Bobby Belt. This is a man who has been sending me emails since the Mark Driscoll controversy first erupted, and I publicly weighed in in support of Janet Mefford and was asking the the tough questions regarding plagiarism. And every time she uncovered more evidence, I featured it here on Fighting for the Faith, he began emailing me. And he emailed me less than 48 hours less than 48 hours before Janet Mefford issued her apology. And in the email he sent me, which was part of a group email that he was sending out at the time, he sent me um, he sent me a link. He says, see Janet's latest blog post for the latest information on the Mark Driscoll controversy and uh, sent me a link to it as well as uh, the, uh, the evidence. So let's just kind of put this in a timeline. November 21st, Janet Mefford has her um, her interview with Mark Driscoll. And um, that's when things blow up. The story goes viral. And Janet Mefford, Mefford from the 21st until yesterday, um, you know, that entire time was defending her decision, taking on critics on her Facebook wall and on Twitter. She was even sending out tweets saying that she was going, you know, she sent out a tweet explaining that she was going to be uh, giving more uh, evidence regarding Driscoll's uh, plagiarism, you know, 48 hours before the apology was issued. And, uh, you know, she was chugging along. And when you looked at her defenses that she gave of herself on her Facebook wall, off one of the one of the clear charges that was brought against her was uh, that she she wasn't following Matthew 18, and yet over and again she would answer her critics on her Facebook wall that Matthew 18 didn't apply in this particular case due to the fact that this was a public sin, that this was a public issue, that this was all done in public. So over and again, Janet on her Facebook wall defended herself against her critics, answered them and did a good job, stood on principle and made a point of telling the story about the fact that she came out of the world of, uh, of newspaper journalism, that she sat at a copy desk and that in her professional experience in the world of journalism, that you know, she explained that there was always two things that copy editors were looking out for. Number one, plagiarism. Number two, anything that had to do with libel. You know, you, you know, you know, anything that could be construed as uh, defaming someone's character. Those were the two things, and she was speaking from her experience. So everything was chugging along. She was doing 
fine. And then out of nowhere, out of the blue, out literally like a thunderbolt from the heavens, she does an abrupt 180. But her 180 really wasn't a full 180. And what I mean by that is this. You listen carefully to her apology. And you can find it at JanetMefford.com. Go to hour number two of um, the program posted on December 4th. That would be yesterday. It's very early on in hour number two. You will hear her very brief apology. And it was very measured and very carefully crafted. Because she didn't apologize, you know, and basically say, oh, Mark Driscoll's right, you know, I, you know all, anything like that. She didn't exonerate Driscoll. She, she apologized for a very specific thing, and the apology was brief, it was terse, and it happened very quickly, and then it was done. Now, understand something. Okay, that what we're seeing here, what we're seeing here should have a chilling effect on you. And I'm telling you as somebody who's seen these types of shark attacks before, this was not a boating accident. This was something different. And, you know, and the best way I can put it is that if you think that Christian radio, for mo- most of what passes for Christian radio, that they have freedom of the press, you are gravely mistaken. It is m- my opinion, and I want you to all know that. It's just my opinion. It is my opinion that Mefford basically had the top brass of Salem Broadcasting come down on her like a bag of, well, potatoes. And, you know, this has all of the classic earmarks of super pressure coming down on her from above. And and I feel for her. The reason I feel for her is because, thankfully, at Pirate Christian Radio, I don't have that pressure. I don't have somebody sitting over me what, telling me what I can and cannot say, what stories I can and cannot cover. And, um, you know, and well, you know, it is my opinion, again, it's just my opinion, that this is a clear indicator that Driscoll has no intention of publicly acknowledging any kind of plagiarism. In fact, I'm sure he can justify it in his mind by saying, well, I didn't write it anyways, I hire ghostwriters. (laughs) I'm telling you, somewhere in the United States of America, probably in Seattle, there is some poor ghostwriter right now who's out of a job. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You know, because, you know, it's kind of the little known secret. And how do I, it's, let's say, it's not, it's a poorly kept secret that uh, men like Mark Driscoll, you know, they, you know, they, they employ ghostwriters. That's how they're able to crank out the books that they crank out and run the organizations that they run and be the megachurch pastors that they are. I mean, you think about it. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, all of us have like daytime jobs. I mean, we wake up in the morning, we, 
get our cup of coffee and we get to work. And when we get to work, you know, you put in a full day's work and you think about it. How does somebody like uh, Mark Driscoll, okay, crank out book after book, year after year after year, all the while being the head of, you know, a large multi-site megachurch with several hundred employees, writes the sermons that he writes every week, does the blog posts that he does, goes and speaks at the conferences he speaks at. And, you know, he's got, I mean, I, as it is, I can barely run Pirate Christian Radio and, and put my own program up every day. It's, it's more than a full-time job. You know, I'm usually, uh, you know, in the saddle working starting at about 7 in the morning, you know, oftentimes 6.30 or earlier. And sometimes I do not finish uh, everything until, you know, well after 7 in the evening. It's it's a close to a 12-hour day to run everything, right? And yet this guy has the ability to do what I do and more and pu- and publish books on top of it. How is that possible? Well, it's plain and simple. He hires ghostwriters. He has people who does who do the writing for him. Um, and so I'm sure that, you know, when this whole plagiarism thing blew up, and it blew up because when you look at the evidence, I think the evidence is undeniable. There's plagiarism, okay? Some poor ghostwriter didn't properly know how to cite things and who got pinned with the crime? Well, Mark Driscoll. Why Mark Driscoll? Because his name's on the book, right? And so I'm sure there was a meeting. If There was probably several meetings because I know how these things work in the corporate world. And, you know, there was a meeting that basically went along the lines of, well, we can't kill the goose that lays the golden egg. That would be Mark Driscoll. Uh, we can't do that. We can't let him go down because, I mean... Look at how many books he sells year after year after year after year. We can't do that. Plus, it was the ghostwriter who did the thing anyway. So they they found they they sniffed out the ghostwriter, gave him uh, one of those boxes, put all of his stuff, and then kicked him out the door. So somewhere in Seattle today, there's some ghostwriter. You know, just wandering the streets of Seattle with a box and, you know, asking for hands out so that he can purchase himself a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Poor guy. Um, but, it, you know, he, he apparently he didn't understand that you're supposed to cite your sources a particular way. So he's gone or she's gone or maybe it was them. They're gone. Um, and so then the question comes up, well, we can't kill the goose that's laying the golden egg. So what can we do? If Driscoll admits to plagiarism, it will be seen as a moral failing. And since he said in the past that people, you know, pastors who engage in plagiarism should quit their job, we under no circumstances can have Driscoll confess to having done this. Plus, we don't want to let on that he doesn't write his books anyway, because then who would buy them? You know, you know, because the latest Mark Driscoll book, we'd want to know, well, who really wrote it, right? Um, so that you know, they've got to protect their bottom lines. They got a profit to make, and he's the celebrity golden goose who you know continues to lay the golden egg. So, what is their only recourse? Simple. Get that journalism woman. To shut up. So I'm sure there were phone calls. 
I'm sure there were phone calls from Mars Hill. I'm sure there were phone calls from Tyndale House. I'm sure there were phone calls from other really super heavy celebrity person types. And I'm sure there were all kinds of threats. I'm sure that there were very heated conversations. But when it was all done, what was left to do? It's all about the golden goose, right? And the job of Christian radio isn't to do, you know, freedom of the press journalism and ask tough questions. The job of Christian radio, as I was told years ago, the most successful ones, they realize their job is to basically promote the latest books, the latest merchandise, the latest ideas, the latest pastors and teachers. Christian radio is basically the marketing arm of Christian publishing houses and celebrity pastors and people like that. That's their job. They're not paid to ask questions. They're not paid to do investigative reporting. They're paid to sell books. They're paid to get people to sign up for Christian diet plans and, you know, to sign up for the latest Christian fad and and be a happy, excited, exuberant, zealous, you know, clearinghouse for the latest and greatest super Christian thing that's on the Christian market. That seems to be pretty much the main thrust, if not the only thing that Christian radio has become good for. Now, I need to make a distinction here. There's nothing wrong per se. And you got to understand per se means just just because you're doing it. There's nothing wrong per, per se of promoting a book or an author on Christian radio. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, okay? Because Christians oftentimes turn to Christian radio because that's one of the functions that they expect Christian radio to fulfill. Tell me what books I should be reading, which authors I should be reading, so that I can grow deeper in my understanding of the Word of God or on this apologetic issue or things like that. But we've got a problem, and that is, is that so much of the Christian merchandise and products and books that are being sold and published they are teaching false doctrine, or in some cases, they have pastors who are high-profile authors who are false teachers, and yet their books are the things that are being put out there. So what happens then is this, is that when Christian media basically becomes beholden to only the marketing function so that there is no journalistic function where tough questions about a pastor's life or his theology or things that he may have done, those questions can't be asked because that's the bottom line is the thing that has to be looked at, then you have a real problem, okay? So I want you to hear what I'm saying very carefully. I understand that there's nothing per se wrong with marketing or promoting particular authors. I get that. But the problem is, is that in today's Christian market, so much of what's being marketed is poison. So much of what being 
uh, is being sold is laced with false doctrine or the pastor or teacher who's putting it forward, there's some real moral and ethical questions as to whether or not that author should even be being held up in the public eye as somebody that people should be looking to, to, you know, to emulate their faith or learn what, you know, you understand what I'm saying. There's some moral and ethical and theological questions that are not being asked anymore because the money is driving everything so that journalism can't happen because oh, there's a financial decision that has to be made. That's one of the main problems with how things are currently. And it's into this context of what Christian radio has become is the controversy of Janet Mefford and her claims and evidence that Mark Driscoll committed plagiarism that his he or his ghostwriters lifted whole passages word for word from other authors and included it in their books. It's into this context of the money-driven only, bottom line only, corporatized Christian radio whose primary job is to sell products that, well, this controversy exploded. And so... I'm sure there were phone calls. I'm sure executives talked to executives. Advertising contracts were pulled out of the filing drawer and examined. The bottom line was, well, taken a look at. There was projections as far as losses and profits and things like that. And I'm sure decisions were made based upon those bottom line criteria. And it became obvious. Driscoll wasn't going to apologize. And that meant that there was only one thing that could be done. And that's how the shark attack happened. This was not a boating accident. And of course, everything I'm telling you is just my opinion. But see, the thing is, is that my opinion is based upon real experience with real shark attacks. And this has all of the same bite wounds and puncture marks that I saw on the carcass of issues, etc. The same bite patterns that I saw on Paul Edwards after his program was canceled. This has all of the same features. What we're dealing with here, flat, flat out, like I said, is a shark attack. Now, I'm going to read for you a blog post from, uh, from Carl Truman, and this is from his First Thoughts blog. Um, it, the name of it is Areopagitica. Yeah, I can't, it's, it's a Latin phrase, and I didn't even say it right, but here's what Carl Truman writes. He says, a couple of recent events have highlighted one or two of the peculiarities of the subculture of American Christianity, specifically evangelical Christianity. First, Ergen Kanner is suing a couple of pastors in an attempt to keep some material pertaining to his life from being published on the internet. Second, talk show host Janet Mefford accused megachurch pastor Mark Driscoll of plagiarism. As noted by Colin uh, Gabarino on the First Thoughts last week, earlier today, the pertinent material compiled by Miss Mefford mysteriously vanished from her website. 
Now, I do not wish to comment on the specific details of either case, but it is interesting to note that both touch on the freedom of the press or media. Hanner wants to restrict information about him, and we can only speculate at this point as to why Miss Mefford has removed the material from her site. Again, I've given you my opinion. Again, I think it was a shark attack. <clears throat> but uh, Truman continues. He says, These incidents prompted one friend of mine to ask the obvious questions. Is journalism no longer considered a legitimate Christian calling? Or is the task of the Christian journalist simply to strengthen the hand of the vested interests? A free press is is basic to the health of democratic culture in the civil sphere because it offers one line of public accountability for those in public office. Those who perform immediate public acts should expect to be subject to immediate public scrutiny, and what is true for the culture at large is also true for the various subcultures. A free Christian press is also important for the Christian subculture, and it keeps leaders and organizations accountable. Of course, as with the mainstream media, there is the ideal and there is the reality. The ideal is a fiercely independent media seeking the truth in a disinterested and objective way. The reality is that everyone is owned by somebody. Every radio station has its sponsors. Every newspaper has its proprietor or shareholders. Every Christian organization has its theological confession and its constituent base. It is naive to think that this does not impact how these groups respond to events and seek to portray reality. And there is a sense in which they have every right to do so. The alternative, state control, is distinctly undesirable. Where the situation becomes sinister is when one group attempts to police the activities of another or where one Christian organization or leader uses their personal power or share of the market to prevent others with whom they are not formally connected from speaking freely and asking the hard questions. At that point things take a very sinister turn indeed. Some years ago, another time, another webpage, someone I know made thinly veiled criticisms of a powerful evangelical organization. The response was swift. First, he received a series of personal pleas from people at the organization telling him to stop. Then he later discovered that his boss had come under direct pressure from head office at the other organization to remove him. The truth of what he had said was not, as far as I am aware, challenged was challenged at any point. It was simply that his comments were very inconvenient from a public relations perspective. Thankfully, the boss sided with his writer and not with the external critics. That is why the health of the Christian subcultures in our society depends to an important extent on the freedom of the Christian press, and that in turn depends on having plenty of public voices in different groups presenting their different perspective without the threat of being silenced by those with power and money. I need voices that criticize me, and so does everyone else who operates in the public Christian sphere. Of course, I do not like being criticized, but 
It is necessary for the health of public life that it be so. It would be a disaster for us all if one or two organizations or individuals came to wield such influence that dissenting voices were eliminated. If that were to happen, there would be less accountability for public figures, the news would be very carefully stage-managed, and we would all be impoverished. That is one reason why the Caner case is so incredibly important and, depending on the reason for the removal of the material, why the Mefford controversy might yet prove to be very significant indeed. As John Milton said regarding truth, quote, Let her and falsehood grapple. Whoever knew truth put to the worse in a free and open encounter? Her confuting is the best and surest suppressing. I am with Milton here. The freer the press, the less innocent have to fear, and more the guilty need to be worried. Great piece by Carl Truman. And he, I think he's right. I think he recognizes this for what it is the same way I recognize it for what it is. What we're dealing with here, folks, is a shark attack. Plain and simple, this was no boating accident. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We'll take a look and a listen to um, Mark Driscoll's appearance on the Glenn Beck program last night. It's kind of interesting. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Bird Cage Theater presents. Church Day Select. These planes would give us passengers more leg room. Oh. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, what in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be slippery thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. 
We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. Jersey anyway! That's it! God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey! I have my rights! You can't do this to people! Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened! There's something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the cheapo airs already low prices right down the promo code then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website very easy to use very inexpensive you save an additional $15 and by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code a portion of your purchase will go to support pirate christian radio so again piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code code, click on the ad banner, and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs. Yeah! Hooray! That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, Yay! I've always wanted new teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. <laughs> Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. 
Oh, thanks. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Morning. One of the reasons why evangelicalism is in such a sad state is because money has become the driving force, not sound doctrine. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. Yeah, I'm telling you, we need your support in order to keep doing what we're doing. Fighting for the Faith is not... Uh, beholden to any, uh, you know, major corporation, and there's nobody breathing down my neck telling me what I can't ask or what I can't say, which means that we're filling a very important void in Christian media right now here at Fighting for the Faith. The work that we are doing is is critically needed, and we can't do it without your support. And no, we do not have some huge advertising contracts with major Christian publishing houses. They won't touch us with a 10-foot pole, which means that we need your help to keep doing what we're doing. I think after that last segment, although I ran really long, after that last segment, you should understand just how important Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith is because we're one of the last voices out there that are asking the tough theological and doctrinal questions and ethical questions regarding the behavior and teaching of celebrity pastors and authors and people like that. And uh, we, the questions we ask clearly would not be tolerated on much of what passes for Christian radio today. So if you don't already support us, please do. The way you do that is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Joining our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And of course, we're running our Christmas bake sale. Go to fightingforthefaith.com. On the very top of the page, you'll see the bake sale link. Click on it, and you can uh, get yourself some items uh, beaded by my mother-in-law. That's right. She tries to help us uh, <laughs> make budget every year by helping. She's a very good beater. And those angel earrings, by the way, they also contain Savorsky crystals. I don't know what that means, but my mother-in-law tells me that's very important. Okay, moving along, we're going to do a Mark Driscoll update, so that requires me to do this.
down the street, don't hear God's word no more. The pastor says we don't feed no sheep, so get busy and amuse those goats. Don't be lazy, you're here to satisfy the leader's God-given vision supreme. If you dare to question him, well then, certainly be a seed. Look out. Another one's off the bus. Another one's off the bus. And another one's off, and another one's off. Another one's off the bus. Hey, he's gonna get you too. Another one's off the bus. ever hit single and you have to put the word hit in um <clears throat> air quotes <laughs> anyway um what we're going to be doing right now is we're going to be listening to a portion of mark driscoll's appearance last night on the glenn beck program now <clears throat> what's funny is is that the first time i listened to this i actually wasn't watching the video and my impression in only hearing the audio was different than after I went back and watched the interview, which is actually kind of fascinating, um, is because when you can see Mark Driscoll's demeanor, it actually makes a difference. And so I want to tell you about his demeanor because I don't want you to get the wrong impression because uh, there's things that he says in here that could be easily misconstrued. And on the first hearing, I, I actually misheard him. And after going back and then watching the video, um, it, it, it cleared up the problem. So I, his Driscoll's demeanor is, <clears throat> how do I put it? 
He looks like he's walking on eggshells, all right? And Driscoll is a very smart man. He, um, you know, if, if, despite all of the criticism that I give him here, the one thing I got to give him is that he's actually a very intelligent fellow. Um, I don't fault him for that. And he, going into this interview, he knows it is fraught with landmines. For instance, okay, if you or I, which will never happen because we're mere mortals, but if you or I were asked to uh, to go to um, New York and appear on Piers Morgan's program, um, do you think for a second, Piers Morgan knowing that we're Christians, do you think he would, uh, you know, basically throw us softball questions? Answer, no. If you or I were asked to go on to Piers Morgan's program, knowing that we're Christians, what's the thing that Piers Morgan's going to try to do? Draw us into a very difficult conversation regarding tolerance when it comes to same-sex marriage and things like that, because this is what he does. And so anybody who calls themselves a Christian or is a Christian leader who shows up on Piers Morgan's program, you had better be wearing protective gear because you know you are going to have a missile fired at you from the mouth of Pierce Morgan. Okay, That being the case, last night, Driscoll appeared on Glenn Beck's program, and Driscoll knows that this interview is fraught with danger. Why is it fraught with danger? Because, um, well, Glenn Beck is a Mormon, and there's been a lot of controversy regarding uh, Christian pastors and people like David Barton and others, you know, who have basically come out and said that Glenn Beck is a Christian. No, he's not. He's a Mormon. Mormons are not Christians. Mormons are heretics. They are part of a cult. They are not Christians. The Jesus they believe in is not the Jesus of Scripture. And I think this is kind of interesting. And let me make this point, too. There's been a lot of talk lately about being, quote, co-belligerents with the Mormons on issues such as marriage and stuff like that. I want everybody to know this. The Mormons are not on the same side of the marriage issue as Christians are. They are not. Historically, they are polygamists. And now that the cultural winds are changing, there is a very strong and growing movement within Mormonism to uh, publicly re-embrace polygamy because the you know, doctrines and covenants in the Book of Mormon clearly says that in order for them to attain the highest levels of salvation, that being becoming gods, they must be polygamists. So there is a movement within Mormonism not for the traditional definition of marriage, unless by the traditional definition of marriage you mean a man and a woman and a woman and a woman and a woman and a woman. Okay, you're sitting there going, well, I seem to, seem to remember something about uh, King David. You know, didn't he have multiple wives? And what about King Solomon and stuff like that? Now, granted, the Bible talks about, well, let's just put it this way. Several of the biblical characters within the Bible do have polygamous marriages. But see, the Christian marriage is the marriage that Jesus affirms, and the marriage that Jesus affirms is the marriage that was given in the Garden of Eden, one man, one woman. That's Jesus' affirmation of marriage going back to the creation, if you get what I'm saying. So 
<clears throat> you know, I, I know there's some very prominent leaders who are talking about working, you know, Christians and Mormons working together to defend marriage. That is absolute foolishness. The reason why it's foolishness is because Mormonism does not, does not defend and at its core, doctrinally and theologically, does not support Christian marriage, the marriage that Jesus affirms. It affirms polygamy. And that's where this is all going. With, with gay marriage now, uh, you know, a foregone conclusion, it is just a matter of time before in the state of Utah you're going to have very interesting plural polygamous marriages coming back in vogue and being legal. And there are many Mormons who are working to make that happen. Now, coming back to the Driscoll interview, the purpose of Driscoll's interview was to promote his book, uh, you know, A Call to Resurgence. So, so Driscoll's on a book tour, if you would, to drum up support for his book. Now that – and see, I think the timing is absolutely fascinating because his first major interview coincides with the day that uh, Mefford – uh, pulled everything off of her website and apologized, uh, you know, regarding the whole plagiarism fiasco. I don't think it's, um, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't think it's a coincidence. But again, that's just my opinion. So what we're going to listen to then is how does Driscoll uh, deal with the Mormon issue, Mormonism issue, because you can count on it coming up with uh, Glenn Beck. So, you know, that's that's how this is going to go down. So I'm going to I'm going to play for you a segment of the interview and note what Driscoll is doing. And what you're going to hear is Driscoll say something that comes dangerously close but does not cross the line that kind of sort of sounds like he was lumping Mormons and Christians together, but he was very careful. But more importantly, after that statement, a little early, a little farther into the interview, Beck brings up a, you know, a an issue and just lays it on the table, and Driscoll's response is well deafening by his silence, not what he says, but by what he doesn't say, because again, he's not there to yuck it up with uh, with Glenn Beck. He's not there to have a conversation with Glenn Beck about Mormonism. He's there to promote his book, and he stayed on task. Now, again, I, I need to say this. I don't have a problem with Christian authors promoting their books on on radio programs or television programs or anything like that. The problem right now that exists in much of what calls itself Christian media is that the tough questions that need to be asked about Mark Driscoll and he needs to answer, those questions are being squashed, shark attack style. That's the problem. And the fact that he's, I mean, seriously, there wasn't any mention at all of the plagiarism controversy. That's just all in the rearview history. It's business as usual. And he's basically put his pedal to the metal and burned out and is heading down the road. The plagiarism thing, never to be seen again. He will never address it, ever, publicly. And that's very clear. So here's uh, uh, part of the conversation with uh, Mark Driscoll and Glenn Beck that I found interesting and worth passing along uh, for you, the listener, fighting for the faith. Here we go. Tell me why Jesus uh, doesn't want me to redistribute all of the wealth. 
Yeah, first of all, I'd say read your Bible, pick it up for yourself, start somewhere around the Gospel of Luke, get to know Jesus for yourself. Most people, when they make those kind of objections, they, they think of Jesus like, you know, product in his hair, wearing a dress, kind of a hippie on vacation, mm-hmm. maybe smoking a joint, you know, sounding like a bunch of fortune cookies, just right. kind of opining. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they haven't met the real Jesus. Had that Jesus uh, actually walked the earth, he'd still be alive. Nobody would have got so upset as to murder that guy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's confrontational. He's a bit of a revolutionary. He speaks his mind. He's a carpenter, construction worker, guy's guy. Um, And he comes preaching repentance, telling people that they're wrong and that they're in sin. And so people's first reaction to Jesus is usually opposition and a bit of conflict. And so I always am like, hey, man, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Get to know the guy for yourself. What What happened to Jesus when, I mean... You don't you don't hear this about Gandhi. I mean, Gandhi and Jesus were very similar. Yeah, no, they I mean, weren't in their in their tactics. I should say. I, see, I would disagree with that. I would disagree with that. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Jesus wasn't violent, but um, I think Jesus was more vocal, more confrontational. Now, notice something here. The reason why I played this segment is because Driscoll just contradicted Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck said that Gandhi and Jesus were very similar. Driscoll disagreed, so he doesn't have a problem pushing back on Beck, which I find fascinating. My question is, why didn't he push back on him in the stuff that you're going to hear in just a few minutes? So here we have in this interview, Driscoll has no problem pushing back on Beck says, Jesus and Gandhi are a lot alike. Driscoll says, no, they're not. And and Beck goes, really, why? You know. And so here he has no problem pushing back on Beck. My question is, why didn't he push back on back on Beck on the stuff that really mattered? Let's keep listening. Large crowds, and ultimately, as you know, man, they crucified him. You don't crucify a guy just because he's, you know, got interesting insights like some community college philosophy. Yeah, prof. but I know. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King—they killed two for the same thing. They were preaching peace, right? And a completely different sort of um, a completely different sort of of understanding of where wealth comes from yeah well the bible teaches private property ownership that's why it's a sin to steal and it doesn't matter whether it's an individual or a corporation or a government or you know an invader the bible teaches private property ownership is is, uh... yeah like you know don't you think intellectual property is private property that shouldn't be stolen again you can just drive a mack truck through this now because romans 2 is in play you who say who preach against stealing do you steal <clears throat> yeah, he needs to answer the plagiarism charges because he's got, at this point, a cr- major credibility problem. Redistribution, stealing? Yes, but I believe that God's people should be generous. And there's a big difference if you take from me or I give to you. And so the Bible is for wealth being shared, but it's done by people who love God and want to be generous and want to be good stewards of their resources so that it's not just being spent on things, but people and things that they know are the right things. So um, what you had to have heard this because, um, I mean, I even think this about people in my own faith and all other faiths. Christians. Now, this is this is the important part. Listen carefully. He's talking about his own faith, which is Mormonism. This can be misconstrued. So listen carefully, because Driscoll is not actually saying Mormons are Christians. But it's very easy to misconstrue this because of the way they get bundled together in his statement. Listen in. Um, I mean, I even think this about people in my own faith and all other faiths. Christians are fake. A lot of times, mm-hmm. they're fake. They can go to church all they want, but when it comes yeah. to business, they'll knife you in the back. 
Yeah, and there's some fake Christians, just like anything. I mean, there are people who will wave the flag of Mormonism or Christianity or whatever the case is so that they can get a business deal and get networked in the community. But but that's like Judas Iscariot on Jesus' team. Just because he's hanging out doesn't mean he's on the team. And sometimes the team has guys like that. Their hands in the till while the other one's picking up the knife to find your but back. But who are you to say? Yeah, now, it's important to note, you know, he, again, he put Mormons and Christians kind of in the same sentence and talked about Judas Iscariot and it was it's a very confusing quote but you know again if you just replay it you can see he was very careful and you look at the see this is the part you can't see unless unless you're a subscriber to the blaze and I'm not and I'm thankful to um <clears throat> Paula Coyle who helped me get a copy of this because her husband is a is a subscriber um but looking at Driscoll's face I mean serious it, it, he looks tense he looks stressed out a little bit because at this point you could tell he's really walking a tightrope he does not want to fall off this type tightrope and you know it's like so the on the one hand he pushed back on beck and now beck is coming back more with stuff and now as you listen to beck listen carefully because the way beck talks about christians and christianity and mormonism he says our churches. Listen, you have to listen to his his pronouns. He'll say our churches, our churches, as if Mormons are Christians, because this is what David Barton has said, and he's appeared and preached at other people's churches. So listen carefully as we continue, because now now Driscoll really realizes he's on the tightrope, and the look on his face is tense. He knows he's got to really measure what he says very carefully here. We continue what is right and what is wrong. I mean, everybody yeah. will say stealing, but who are you to say what's right and wrong? Yeah, I'm not. I'm a Bible teacher. I go to an objective standard of authority I mean, apart play, from me. Just, yeah. just playing this sure. role out here. The Bible is old. It's been used yeah. to stone people, kill people. Uh, some of the worst things in history have happened sure. because of Christians, etc., etc. Who are you to say? Yeah, it's been right? wrongly used, but rightly used. It brings human flourishing. It values the sanctity of human life. It encourages generosity and love for the poor. I mean, authority is either internal. I'm my own th- authority. It's it's external. The government is in charge, or it's eternal. And and as a Christian who believes the Bible, I say the safest place for law to reside is is in the eternal, not the external and not the internal. So what is the... Um what is the biggest thing that our churches are missing? Our past- our churches. D- listen to the way he says it. Again, Beck is speaking as a man who considers himself a Christian, who's been told by other Christians that he's a Christian. So it's our churches. This is suppo- In Beck's mind, this is one Christian having a conversation with another Christian. I mean, because this is really a clarion call. Yeah. Um, yeah, the latest statistics are that between 7 and around 9% of Americans are practicing evangelical Christians. And as you get closer to cities and are dealing with younger demographics, those numbers even go down. And so any indication that we're a majority or things are going great, that's an illusion. So what is the what are we doing wrong? What needs to happen? Yeah, I think we've gotten focused a lot on good works instead of good news who jesus is and what he does again notice beck what are we christians doing wrong beck keeps using these inclusive plurals 
also we've lost a little bit of courage because in the social media age, anytime you say something, there's going to be a backlash. And I think some pastors recoil at that kind of conflict. People are going to leave. Donations are going to go down. Problems could arise. And I think a lot of people are running scared. And I think a lot of leaders are afraid to just sort of lean over the plate and take one for the team and see what happens. What do you think happens? Well, some of them get in trouble. But as if getting in trouble was the worst thing that could ever I happen. Know. I know. That, that is the... Yeah, and see, the thing is, is that Driscoll, as far as I'm concerned, isn't in trouble because he's, quote, taken one for the team and been bold in preaching Jesus. It's the, all the other stuff. He, he's been bold in giving the right hand of fellowship to T.D. Jakes. He's been bold in affirming that Joel Osteen, despite the fact that he's a word of faith heretic, is a Christian brother. Uh, he's been bold in throwing people off the bus, and now he's being bold in not saying anything about the plagiarism evidence that has surfaced against him. <clears throat> this is just weird. That's the thing I don't understand is... Um... I don't understand how, um, you know, if you, especially some of these mega churches, they spend millions mm-hmm. on these churches, then they have to pay for it. Oh, man. This is, again, th- now the interview slips into bizarro world. So now you have Glenn Beck bemoaning mega churches, and Mark Driscoll is a mega church pastor. Now, let me add a little bit more context here, and that's this. I have had personal conversations with so many Mars Hill alumni who've either been thrown off the bus, had the bus run them over, or they have come to the conclusion on their own there's something screwy uh, with uh, Driscoll and Mars Hill. I've had so many of these conversations over the last couple of years. Again, I've got... I've got exit interview data, let's just put it that way, that is like would be gold. If, they, if the people at Mars Hill would like to buy it from me, I'm sure I could put it together in a, in a report format. I know exactly why the people who leave Mars Hill are leaving. And, I, and there's – let's just put it this way. There is a common theme that I hear from the Mars Hill alumni, okay? Actually, several of them, but let me place a couple of them out for you. Number one, common complaint that Mark Driscoll's preaching has changed. Okay, Mark Driscoll's teaching has changed. When I ask Mars Hill alumni, and their alumni either voluntarily and most times involuntarily, <clears throat> when I ask them, okay, Mark Driscoll's preachings changed. I agree with you. When do you think it started changing? Okay. And it's rather fascinating. I will get usually one of two answers. Answer number one, sometime in 2011, something started happening. Okay. And it became a more and more apparent after Elephant Room in the early part of 2012. Okay, um, the other answer that I get is February of this year. You know, the, there's some people who this is when they start noticing it. Uh, February of this year, when Driscoll affirmed that uh, Joel Osteen is a brother in Jesus. Okay, so uh, you, when you ask the exit interview questions, okay. You know, what, you know what what happened? Well, I, I noticed that Mark Driscoll's preaching changed. The content changed. Um, somebody I recently uh, conducted an exit interview with, if you would, um, told me that that um, that this person was starving for the gospel. 
starving for the gospel in, 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 in at Mars Hill. And I said, well, doesn't Driscoll preach the gospel? And this person said, yeah, it's sort of mentioned, but he's really good at preaching the law, but we don't really hear the gospel a lot. And this person noted that this is something that wasn't always the case, that there's been some kind of a change. So, okay, now, I have no idea, no clue what Mark Driscoll's heart is, what his motives are. I can only tell you what I see. And when I ask people who've left Mars Hill, because, again, these are people who seek me out. They want to talk to me. They want me to know their stories. So, when, you know, when I ask all this stuff, you know, my question is, is Mark Driscoll, and this is just a question, is I, ha- I don't know the answer to the question, is Mark Driscoll feeling the pressure of having all of these multi-sites and the cost that it comes in running them and, and marketing and trying to attract people to them? And is that pressure then causing him in some way to cave theologically? It's a valid question that I think should be answered, but I can't answer it. I don't know. But I can tell you that the uh, Mars Hill alumni over and 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 over again tell me that in the past few years, Driscoll's preaching has changed. So this question being asked by Glenn Beck, from my point of view, is a surreal question and is actually kind of a dangerous question for Driscoll to be fielding. And his answer is, well, interesting. Let's listen. Um, I don't understand how, um, you know, if you, especially some of these mega churches, they spend millions mm-hmm. on these churches, then they have to pay for it. Yeah. And if you do something, you're beholden to the bank. So if you're saying something in a world where two plus two equals six, say it, it equals six. Yeah. If you start saying, no, it equals four, you are going to, I mean, I've had pastors who have invited me to speak and have lost parishioners because mm-hmm. they have invited me to, to speak yeah. at their church. Now, okay, this, <laughs> oh boy, there's so much going on here. Now, this is the part where in a... In a different world, <clears throat> um, I would, you know, this is where I would expect the guy who is at the plate for biblical Christianity to look Glenn Beck straight in the eye and say something to the effect of this Glenn, any pastor who would invite you to preach at their church should lose his job because we aren't worshiping the same Jesus. But that's not what Driscoll's there to do. So there it is. It's sitting right out there, and it's in the context of a question regarding mega churches. And the the tension is palpable. The look on Driscoll's eyes, on his face, is it's that deer in the headlight. Oh no, what am I going to do? Kind of look. It's fascinating to watch. But we continue. And. Um... Uh, that takes tremendous courage. So how do the pastors actually say something when they have to keep the business open? Yeah, and that's where they've got to set it up so that they're not beholden uh, with such debt or such obligation uh, that they can't say what God gives them to say or be willing to go out of business for it. Okay, what was your motivation for saying that T.D. Jakes is a Christian brother? 
at Elephant Room 2. What's your motivation for saying that Joel Osteen is a Christian brother? Because, you know, I, you know, I'm looking at the things that you're doing and how you've gone squishy on such very important, um, how should we put this, national boundaries when it comes to Christianity, to use your analogy, that, you know, I, you know, okay, is it possible, um, Mark, that you're being hypocritical here too? That you're, 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 you ideally understand what should be happening, but you yourself have already caved to these pressures because you know that you've got to attract as large of a crowd as possible in order to get as much money to pay the bills for all of the buildings where the different Mars Hill satellite uh, churches meet. I, the question, I just put the question out there. I don't have the answer, but you know, I think it's worth asking. And notice this. He doesn't touch the Mormonism thing at all. He could have said something about Mormonism. Ah, he's gonna. He's not even going to touch it. We continue. The other thing, at the end of the day, as a Bible teacher, my goal is not to keep the doors open. My goal is to do the right thing and to trust God to keep the doors open. So was it the right thing to give the right hand of fellowship to T.D. Jakes? Is it the right thing to say that Joel Osteen is a Christian brother? Is it, right, is it the right thing to throw people off the bus who dissent to the vision? Is it the right thing for you to have, or maybe your ghostwriters, to have plagiarized other authors without giving correct attribution? Is that the right thing? You see, is it the right thing for you to completely not tell Glenn Beck, listen, you shouldn't be preaching at Christian churches, you're a Mormon, we don't believe in the same Jesus. Is that the right thing? That is not easy to do. I have a good friend, uh, Pastor um, Hutcherson. Yeah, and, <clears throat> and he's in Seattle, I know. And Hutch. he has lost, uh, I mean, he took a pounding when mm -hmm. he started saying, well, this is the way it really is. Yeah. He took an absolute pounding. His church has, has grown back quite a bit, but, yeah, I mean, it... That is hard to do. Yeah. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, back in just a second. All right. So that gives you kind of the flavor of what happened. Again, Driscoll wasn't there to confront um, you know, Glenn Beck regarding Mormonism. He was there to promote his book. And I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that, except that, well, um, Driscoll has got some major questions that he needs to be answering, and he keeps and continues to refuse to answer them or be held accountable for his actions and statements and things that have uh, come up. And again, how is this possible? It's real simple. The reason why this is possible is because so much of what passes for Christian journalism isn't Christian journalism. So much of what it has turned into is what the Christian media is basically the marketing arm for large Christian publishing houses and other things, and they're not going to allow sound doctrine or ethical failings get in the way of their bottom line. Something to think about. All right, we are up on our second break. At the, on the other side of the break, I'm going to be interviewing Jovan McKenzie regarding his latest album. It kind of demonstrates to you there's nothing wrong with inviting somebody on to promote their work. But Jovan has some great work to offer us, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing this interview with you. Stay tuned. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. 
Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the cheapo airs already low prices right down the promo code then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website very easy to use very inexpensive you save an additional $15 and by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code a portion of your purchase will go to support pirate christian radio so again piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code code click on the ad banner and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs yeah! Hooray! that was a great happy birthday song okay charlie try to open up your presents all right grandpa uh, let's see what we have here oh Yay! I've always wanted new teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. <laughs> Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. Oh. Thanks. Ow. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This is normally our sermon review time. Instead, it's going to be our interview time. Yes, it's actually possible for good, hard, question-asking Christian journalism to coexist with promoting good quality sound doctrine products. No joke. All right, now normally you would be hearing our uh, sermon update music. We're not doing a sermon update. Earlier today I had a fantastic conversation with Jovan McKenzie. Now, Jovan McKenzie, we had him on Fighting for the Faith last year. Last year he released an album that was a very hard-hitting album. Uh, you know, the, the Narrow Road Famine was the name of the uh, album by uh, Jovan McKenzie. And uh, this year he has taken a completely different direction. The album that he released this year is entitled The Seduction 
of self, the seduction of self. And it's just a, it, again, it, it, it's you know, hip hop, rap, music, uh, but it's theological and it's, it's really the whole album, if you would, you could describe it as kind of a, a very strong look at our self, our total depravity, our sinful nature, and how easy it is for even us Christians to deceive and or even worship our self. So without any further ado, here is my uh, interview recorded earlier today with uh, Christian hip-hop and rap artist Jovan McKenzie. All right, on the line via Skype, I have Jovan McKenzie, who just released a brand new album, which is completely different than the uh, the previous album that uh, he released uh, last year. And uh, Jovan, welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great. So the the name of the new album is Seduction of Self. Now, last year's album, I mean that that album, uh, the Narrow Road F- uh, Famine. That one was like a hard-hitting, in-your-face you know, call-out of false teachers uh, and people who were fleecing the body of Christ. And it was you know, one of those – it was like the, 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 the hip-hop rap album for people who are into biblical discernment. You've taken a completely different uh, turn uh, with this, uh, with this uh, new album, and you even have a Martin Luther quote on it, which, by the way, I have to let everybody know that uh, we Lutherans, if our, we're looking for our own hip-hop artists. You know, we, we're all jealous about the fact <laughs> that all the hip-hop art, art, artists are like Calvinists. And so I was, you know, I was very happy when I saw the Luther quote on the front of your album. But uh, let's, let's talk about Seduction of Self. What's the album about? What, you know, what's the main thrust of it? I mean, it seems like you're talking about original sin. You're talking about amazing grace. And, and the Martin Luther quote uh, that says that I'm more afraid of my own heart than uh, of the Pope and all of his cardinals. Yeah, you know, uh, you've, you've really taken an interesting d- divergence here. It's almost like uh, the doctrine of original sin or total depravity seems to be the, uh, the background of your album. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, yeah, shout out to all the Lutherans. Um, yeah, I definitely sh- showed y'all some love with the with the Martin Luther. Um, yeah, pretty much like you said, uh, how, how Martin Luther quotes, he says, uh, you know, I am more afraid of my own heart than the Pope and all his cardinals. Within my heart lies the true Pope self. Yeah. And so just after after looking at, you know, every album I try to, people that have followed my music know that every album I have like one or two transparent songs where I just talk about my own struggles and, you know, my heart as a believer and why I need Christ. And this one, after I did famine, I just felt like, okay, I've, I've done so much of addressing false teaching. And by God's grace, I still want to do that. I want to be more loving with it, make sure that my, my motives are, 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 you know, of course, are, are the right ones. And, uh, you know, and so this album, it was pretty much like how Martin Luther, uh, when he looked at like, wow, you know, as, as heretical as the Pope is for him to say that I'm more afraid of myself as a sound believer in the faith than a heretic, you know, that says a lot about ourselves. And, um, you know, I've even heard lost people say, you know, I'm my worst enemy. And uh, so that's how I took the approach to this album was regardless of the, you know, the heretics and the people that we know out there, the Catholics and the Jehovah Witnesses and all these people, like we're so wicked within ourselves 
uh, in our hearts, even as true believers, you know, the closer we grow with Christ, the more we see how unholy we truly are yeah. uh, because we're getting closer to that light. So uh, he's revealing more and more of our sin, our pride. You know, when I first got saved, it pretty much was, um, you know, hey, stop doing this, you know, stop doing our things, stop fornicating, you know, don't steal, you know, right. just common things. And I'll be a, I'll be a decent guy. And the more I grow, I see false humility. I see pride. I see bitterness. I see lack of forgiveness. I see all kinds of things. I'm like, Lord, like, whoa, like, I didn't know I was this, you know, this jacked up, you know, and it's like, I need your cross almost like more than when I first got saved. Yeah. And so, uh, so I just wanted to convey that on the album, man, just seduction of self, of being sed- seduced. Uh, whatever your sin is, whatever you're struggling with, whatever idols are in your life, it comes from you being seduced by the love of yourself. And so I wanted to just portray that on the album. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think this is a timely message, I th- and I think it's a good one for anybody who – well, anybody who's a Christian, but anybody who may be kind of worn out with uh, – you know the 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 bad direction that the church in general is taking, um, because it's really easy for somebody to think, oh well, because I have a radar fix on the truth, that somehow that somehow you know I've I've got an inside track with Jesus or something. You you know, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. uh, and uh, I, I'll kind of use this uh, to springboard into kind of a bigger topic, but uh, and we can talk about this. Is that uh, you know right now you know the uh, you know, one of the controversies of the moment has to do with the uh, the allegations of plagiarism that uh, Mark Driscoll you know plagiarized other people in uh, in several of his most recent books, and um, you know of course I've been you know, posting about it on Facebook and Twitter and have talked about it on the program. And one of the interesting uh, charges that comes back at me is that, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, you're, Chris, you're obsessing about this. And why are you against Mark Driscoll? And and what uh, what I find fascinating about the question is, is that it, it, it assumes that you know, that my position is an us versus them position when it comes to the people that I critique or point out the things that uh, that they need to repent of on my program. But the reality is, is that I never actually consider it an us versus them. And what I see in, in Mark Driscoll is the very same sin that I'm seduced by on a daily basis. And um, yeah. the one thing I've I've learned as I've um, struggled and suffered through the Christian uh, life, you know, our life here as a sojourn, is is the is really coming to grips with the idea that sin is slavery, and that yeah. I I was born in slavery, abject slavery to sin, death, and the devil, and that my own sinful flesh that I still have to contend with day after day after day, even though I have been you know, a baptized believer in Christ for decades. Um, yeah. You know, I still daily have to take my sinful flesh and uh, the, the way we Lutherans talk about it is drown it in the waters of my baptism. You know, hold my sinful yeah. flesh under under the waters of my baptism till the bubbles stop. And unfortunately, my sinful flesh seems to be a good swimmer and can hold his breath for a long time. And uh, <laughs> and And so what I really desire for people is... Uh, is freedom. If if we understand properly that that we're born dead in trespasses and sins, our sin, our our, our good works don't save us. In fact, Luther and, and and the reformers pointed out that our good works are, according to Scripture, as filthy menstrual rags. It's that now that's a that's a graphic depiction, you know. And, and you know even that's kind of cleaned up. What I always tell people is that that our good works, our best ones, 
are as 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 appealing as a used maxi pad. And if we, right. if we're going to trust in our good works and the things that we do, that that it's going to be our good works, not our sins, that end up sending us to hell. And That's so, right. and so I I think you tap into you know the 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 concept of total depravity and hit it from several different angles you know talking about our pride uh, talking about the amazing grace that we have and our need for a savior and worshiping at the savior's feet and and in this this plea regarding you know the body of death that we that we have hanging around us as christians i think it's important for us to all really realize that um that you know as christians we all stand is equals those who have been set free from sin, death, and the devil, and we sojourn now until we finally, you know, reach the heavenly kingdom. At which point we can finally get rid of our sinful flesh. But I, I think you really tap into a lot of that in this album. Praise God! Yeah, yeah. You said you said it uh, right there. Um, you know, even even with the the Mark Driscoll, I haven't really paid attention to what's going on. Um, but like I said, uh, I said on the uh, on my intro. Uh, to the album, I said, um, if you look, you can see self righteousness if you look to the right. How I started trusting in myself and stopped looking to Christ, you right. know. So, so, so even stuff like that, where it's like, you know, like you said, you you start doing good deeds, you're witnessing, you're, you know, you're out there preaching the gospel, you're open air, you're, you know, you're doing all these different things, and you're like, man, I'm 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 doing it, but it's like, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm only doing what God is enabling me to, me to do by His Spirit, right, and. You know, and it's so easy as a believer to look at another believer and say, you're not where I'm at and, and look down on that brother. But um, I heard I heard a, a, it was an excellent quote by uh, R.W. Glenn. He said, whenever you're going to rebuke somebody or whenever you're going to criticize somebody, he said, even if, if they're if they're dead wrong and they're doing wrong and you're doing right, you still need to realize before you approach them that he said, you don't need to rebuke them unless you realize that you're just as sinful, if not worse. That's right. And that's, I was like, wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Cause it's so easy to, you know, look at anybody and be like, oh man, look that guy right there. Oh man. He endorsed the heretic, man. He's just an idiot, you know, or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just so pious. And it's like, no, like, Lord, I'm just as bad. That would be me without your grace. Or matter of fact, I would be worse. You know? So I look at, uh, you know, some of these guys, even like Benny Hinn, like these guys are heretics, you know, they're, they're under God's judgment because of the damnable doctrine they teach. At the same time, that's me apart from God's grace. That, that's you right. Know, I, I, you know, that, and, and, and so, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that, that, that's absolutely right. And when you really total, when you understand your complete sinfulness and wretchedness and inability to do any good thing apart from Christ, and that it's by his grace that you've been brought to penitence and faith in him, then you can look at somebody who's in error, somebody who's in sin, and you can actually have empathy and be motivated by a desire not for their bad, for their destruction, but for their repentance and for them to be set free. And uh, I, I think I think it's easy for us all to lose sight of, of of that in the midst of how crazy things have become. And it makes me wonder if uh, if that wasn't what was behind the error that the church in Ephesus sure. uh, had to be rebuked for uh, by the by Jesus in the in the book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, and so as I as I mature in Christ, um, you know, I just try to try to be more compassionate and, and try to be more 
you know, uh, just understanding where people are at and just understanding that, wow, like, like, you know, when, when, when Jesus, even in the scriptures, he looked around and, and, you know, they were like people without a shepherd, you know, and he had compassion, you know, he wasn't just like, these people are just a bunch of sinful, you know, monsters or whatever, like, like he understood their sin, you know, he called it for what it was, he never compromised the truth, but he was compassionate in his boldness, he wasn't bold just to be bold. Right. You know, he wasn't just out there, you know, just being, you know, just judgmental just to do it. He was doing it for the love for the father and love for the people. So even when you see him rebuke the Pharisees and, and drive the, 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 the doves and all the stuff from the temple, that was in love. That right. was out of righteous anger. So just looking at my own heart and being like, Lord, help me help my motives, help me to, uh, to love these people who are in error um, and help me to see that I'm them apart from your grace, not look at them as it's a me over here versus them. Like, no, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's me and them. We all need Christ. We all get to heaven if we're going the same way. And so, you know, that, that helps me extend grace to be like, look, you know, even on my albums in the future, you know, I want to address, uh, I still want to address issues on false teaching, but I want to make sure I'm conveying it out of love. And I don't want to just sound like some bitter guy that, or some guy that wants to show you how much he knows. I want to show people that, hey, guess what? This is the truth right here. But let me convey it in a way where I'm not looking down at you. I'm looking at eye level and saying like, hey, we all need this together. You know, we all need Christ. Right. It's not just you, Jesus. I need him every day. And so on this album, I wanted to show, hey, guess what? Yes, I preach against false doctrine. Yes, I, I'm, I'm by God's grace. He's given me a boldness to proclaim truth in, in whatever avenue he's given me. At the same time, I need Jesus just as much as you, if not more. Right. You know, and this is some of the struggles that I have as a believer. So, you know, here's how you can keep me in prayer or whatever else. And, and just, you know, what I try to show on the album is, hey, you know, as a true believer, uh, you know, there's 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 this battle, you know, there's this battle with the flesh. You know, we, we're like how we, we know that we are saved. Uh, uh, we're being saved and we were saved, you know, but we're not fully saved as far as glorification. So like you said earlier, to where all that sin is just done with the sinful nature is still here, right. you know, but now we're not slaves to it. We have victory in Christ, but there's still this battle. And so even though I did the album also, too, because you have a lot of nonbelievers when you talk to the average nonbeliever that knows they need Jesus, the main thing, what is it that they'll bring up? Well, you know, I'm just not ready or, you know, I'm not perfect or, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I still have, and they don't understand. It's like they, by the saying that, um, it shows that not only do they have a lack of understanding of the gospel, but it shows that even us as a church have presented the gospel in such a way to where it looks like, uh, that, that we're justified by works or that you come to Jesus when you're perfect or when you come to Jesus, when you're able, when you're worthy enough to come and they don't understand, like, look, we still struggle too, but we're not slaves like you guys because of the cross, because of what Christ has done. And so I wanted to show people like, Hey, look, I'm not some perfect Christian. I'm perfect because of Jesus. And, mm -hmm. and, and, Spite of my sin, you know, if somebody like, let's say if a Muslim hears this album is like, man, he struggles with pride. You know, he's, he says, he, you know, sometimes he falls at this. Sometimes he doesn't forgive. You know, how in the world is this guy getting to heaven? Well, exactly. The cross, Christ. That's exactly. When you look at my mind, it's full of filth and it's different things. Of course, I've been renewed. Right. You know, I'm, 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 I'm seeking after righteousness, but my mind is corrupt compared to Christ. Yeah. So, but when you look at his mind, there's no lust, there's no pride, there's no sin. And this is how I'm getting to heaven. This is what I'm banking on. This is where all my hope is on. It's on Christ. And just, and just show people that contrast, you know, that there's nothing good in me uh, outside of God's spirit. And that, you know, the only way I'm getting to heaven is through Christ. Right. You know, a couple of things I, I would springboard off of what you said. 
is, um, you know, you talk about how unbelievers, you know, oh, I'm not ready to come to Jesus and stuff like that. It, 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 mm-hmm. they, they inherently have this false idea that Christianity is some kind of a works-based religion whereby they placate God's wrath by doing mm-hmm. good. That's what we all think about God, but that's that's just right. not the case. But the other thing I see is that uh, sometimes, th- th- you know, that that false belief is actually reinforced in the church. I, you know, uh, not yes. long, not long ago, I uh, had an opportunity to speak at a, at a congregation and um, it, it, in talking with them, uh, there were some people who were hurt by the, uh, that this particular church because the way their communion practice was, is that you know, yes. they, they were told that, uh, you know, if they weren't worthy, you know, to come up and and uh, have the Lord's Supper, they were to sit down. And 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 in some cases, ah. you know, people who you know were clearly struggling with uh, particular sins, they were told yep. by, by uh, other members, "You you don't go up there. You're not you're not worthy to receive wow. w- to receive the Lord's Supper." And uh, yeah. they, they asked me my th- what I thought of that, and which I thought was yep. you know of course you know an awkward moment, but I said you know, what is it that makes us worthy to receive the Lord's Supper? And, and I said, let's go back through the, let's go back through the, uh, the words of institution itself, which, you know, are, are yeah. you find them in the Gospels where it says, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. And, he, and then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood and the covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. I said, what makes you worthy to receive the lord's supper is 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 your understanding that 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 you need the forgiveness of sins by the broken body and the shed blood of christ and and That's i said right. the person the person who is worthy to receive the lord's supper is the one who is thirsty for forgiveness and right. and it 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 kind of shook them it it was it was one of those moments that you know that you know if you have the opportunity to speak in different places it just it'll always kind of sit there in my mind as as kind of a poignant moment and that's right and um i i think it's easy for us as christians to lose sight of that i think it's easy for us to um, you know, to see that God is working in our lives, to see the work of the Holy Spirit in curbing our sinful desires and, and instilling in us an, a desire and, and a love to serve neighbor. And for us to sit there and go, wow, look at that progress. I'm really, I'm really better than somebody else. And as soon, <laughs> as, soon as you do yeah. that, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but we, we've got to go back to square one with you, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, you know, you know, it's so crazy. Uh, even as believers, you know, we, we struggle with we know uh, as 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 being reformed and, and being solid, uh, you know, being believers. We know that. Guess what? It's by uh, our justification is by grace through faith. Nothing else. You know, it's, right. it's apart from works. But we know that theologically and in our mind. But we don't know that practically because we live our lives as if, you know, we, we either fall into this legalism, mm-hmm. you know, or, 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 or we fall into, you know, we can fall into antinomianism as well, but yep. we fall into this legalism mainly of, you know, oh man, I got to do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. And you know how Paul said in Colossians, touch not, taste not, want not. Why do you still live, you know, according to the elementary, elementary principles, if you died with Christ, you know, like, so we live as if, you know, at this legalistic, like God's this angry God in heaven, which we know he's angry towards the wicked, but, oh, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm blood bought, but, oh man, I had pride. I know God's up there steaming. 
mm-hmm. you know, like, like I better, I better, you know, I better tippy toe around the, uh, around the throne of grace is like, no, we can come boldly, not because of how our week was, but because of Christ. Right. And so we fail when we, you know, if I'm harsh with my wife, then I'm like, well, let me give God some time to cool off. I'm, I'm not going to pray right now. Let me kind of do a good deed to kind of, to kind of, you know, throw that in his face before I come to the throne. It's like, no, I can go to the throne now. Like, Lord, forgive me. Right. Like, like, and I can go boldly and still pray for my needs to be met, still pray that God would use me the rest of the day still, you know, but, but we live as if, or, you know, let's say for example, you know, you're at your, you know, somebody gets a raise on a job or let's say you just do a grievous sin and then you get in a car accident. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Cause I sinned. You know, um, right. you know, or 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 if, or if we're doing good all week and then something bad happens, you know, you get in a car accident or something, we're like, we're, we're we're mad at God because we're like, I've been good, you know, I've done good all week. Or you have a situation where you know you've done good all week, or you think you've done good, and and you get a raise on a job, or or you know your wife hasn't been you know able to bear children, and then she gets pregnant, and you're like, that makes sense. I've I've been living right, so God is blessing me, you know, or or or, or it could be the opposite where you've you know, you just been sending it up all week to where, you know, you've been doing wrong purposely or whatever, uh, you know, lack of forgiveness, whatever your thing is. And then your wife gets pregnant and you're like, God, I don't deserve this because I haven't been good this week. And you're not basing it off of, no, I'm being blessed off the mercies of God. He reigns on the just and the unjust. I'm a child of God. So God doesn't bless me according to my works. If he, if, if God, if God treated me according to my works, I would still have to go to hell. Right. You know, because because of my thoughts, my even when I'm doing good, you know, I think it was um, Spurgeon who said your greatest tears are full of sin, yeah. you know, and, and that's the truth. So so even 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 as, as pure as I want to be able to say my motives are, you know, when I'm preaching the gospel, they're pure. I believe to a certain extent they are pure, but they're not pure as in Christ pure. They're not they're not only to the father's glory, only, you know, for him, even this interview. I can't sit here and I'm not going to lie and say it's fully for God's glory only. I would love to say that, but I would be deceiving myself because there's some sin in it, which I can't see something in there. That's about me. And yep. it goes back to seduction of self. And it goes back to Lord, forgive me. And as Paul Washer said, you know, we repent from our unrighteousness, but when do we repent for our righteousness? Thinking that our works are good enough, thinking that, yeah. you know, I preach the gospel, how I'm supposed to be preached. I'm, I've did God a favor, like, no, Lord, forgive me for my pride, you know? And so, mm-hmm. I think I think we struggle with that every day as believers. Yeah. On a yeah. level. What you were describing there sounds a lot more, you know, kind of like the Christianized version of karma, you know. You know, yeah. you, you get what's coming to you. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. no, no, grace says I don't get what's coming to me and I in right. and the longer I live, the longer mm-hmm. I live and in you know, you know, I I found that the Christian life is one of suffering. It is, it, yeah. you suffer on so many different levels, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, I'm getting older, the body doesn't work the same way it did when I was young. Um, you know, you, you got the aches and the, in the creeks and, you know, death, it, death is like a, it's, it's a, it's, it's like having a mortgage, you know, you, you make monthly payments to death and there's a big balloon payment at the end. But, um, <laughs> you know, but aside from that, you have the common, you, know, you have the travails in your own family, the struggles against your own sinful flesh. You have the daily battles that you have at work. It doesn't matter, you know, what your job is, you know, every, there's, where two or more are gathered, there's politics. And then you got, and then you got all the other stuff and, and, and you just day in and day out, you feel buffeted by Satan. And, and I'm getting to the point where, when I see in Scripture that it says that God will give us the desires of our heart, the older I get, the thing that I desire 
is has nothing to do with anything that's on this earth. I desire to be set free from the curse. I want to see right. G- I want to see Jesus's face. I want to right. no longer have to say forgive me my trespasses. I don't want to have to keep saying that, but every single day at the end of the day, I'm in bed looking at the ceiling, praying the prayer that Christ has taught us to pray, and I have to elaborate because here's the That's trespasses right. and every single day I have to say to Christ, I blew it again. And I blew it That's again. Right. And tomorrow I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in bed, I'm gonna look at the ceiling, I'm gonna pray the prayer, and I'm going to say I blew it again. I'm gonna say it tonight when I get in bed. I blew it again. And That's right. And Christ's mercies are bigger than all of my blew it again. And I'm getting to the point where I'm sick of the I blew it again, and the thing I want to see is Christ, I don't want to keep praying this prayer, and and so, you know, it's, you know, it's it's you know, I'm, I'm I don't, you know, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's the Christian life is hard. It is not easy. Yeah, and you you know what's so what's so encouraging is, and that's what, and 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 it goes back. Everything goes back to the cross, you know. Um, and I know that, and it's crazy, you know. And this just shows our shows our sin nature, you know. Part of us is, uh, you know, upset with that because we're frustrated with ourselves. Why can't I be better? Right. You know, why can't I be like Jesus was? And and, and part of that is because going back to uh, original sin where we don't want God's help. We don't want to have to go, you know, I know you died for me, but let me take it from here. You know, and that's part of our part of our, um, you know, our, 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 our sin and our and our f- false motives. But also, like you said, there is a there is a pure longing of, of, of wanting to see Christ of Lord. I'm tired of grieving the spirit. You know, I'm tired of, you know, you've done this for me. Help me to, you know, free me from this, you know, because it's only by your grace, you know, and, um, you know, free me from pride and lust and, and anger and, and, you know, all these different things, you know, just self-righteousness, feeling like I'm better than others. Um, I hate feeling like that. And so, you know, and that's so encouraging, like you were saying earlier about communion, you know, where, 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 and I've actually heard that preached at churches, some, a church I've been to in the past where, you know, make sure you're worthy to take it. And it's like, well, then I, I'll never be able to take it. Right. You know, I'm, I'm never, I'm never worthy. He's worthy. And this is why I take it. And, you know, it's so much different than the old Testament where the high priest would go in the temple and, or, and the people will come and they will bring sacrifices. And how Hebrew says the sacrifices were reminding them of their sin. Yeah. And, but sacrifices could not give them a clear conscience, a clean conscience. But the gospel, Christ does give us that clean conscience where, where we don't have to, Christ, he took our guilt on the cross. We don't have to have that guilt. Of course, we repent, you know, we, we mourn over our sin uh, and, and uh, grieving the Holy Spirit, but we don't have to feel that guilt that they felt. You know, we go and, and, and taking communion, you know, we remember. And, and like you said, like, you know, I go to bed at night, Lord, I failed. But guess what? Christ didn't fail. So there's hope. I don't have to live and you and no other believer has to live in a constant discouragement of, man, I blew it again. Not that like how Paul says, shall we sin? So grace may abound. God forbid, may it never be. Um, at the same time, we know that there's victory in Christ, so we don't have to walk around with our heads down because he has defeated it. You know, he's defeated sin. He's defeated death. So now we know as believers, like, yeah, I blew it, but look what Christ did. And that's, now that's going back to my album. 
you know, seduction itself. That's why I wanted to show people like I've blown it so many times. I've been, I've had to been rebuked by other brothers and so many times and just different stuff. I've, you know, looked down on people. I've come at people the wrong way. I've, I've done all kinds of things that are wrong, you know, been harsh on my wife, whatever you name it, I've probably done it. But in the midst of all my failure, I can say, guess what? I'm perfect in Christ. If I die, I'm going to heaven, not because of anything I've done, not because I'm a Christian rapper and I'm on uh, Chris Rosenbro show and I'm doing all this. No, because of Christ. Right. And I can, I can have full confidence in that. I don't have to have a, a guilty conscience after all the stuff I've done. And that's what the world, the world can't say that they don't have a clear conscience. They know that I've done this stuff. And, and, and that's why they try to do all these good deeds and the Jehovah witnesses. And you see the mother Teresa's and all the different people, they've got to try to pile up all these works because they know that they, there's nothing that they can do. And so they keep trying to heap up these works, but there there is no rest in Christ, man. And so I praise God that we have that. Right. Yeah, boy, I tell you, if, if, I know for a fact if I tried to pile up all of my good works and hold them up to God and say, <laughs> see, you should save me, you know. Um, uh, I, I guarantee you that conversation would end very poorly with my with my carcass being thrown into the lake of fire. There isn't a yeah. single good work that I can point to and say, yeah. that's the one that's going to make God happy with me. No way. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and, and let me build on something that you said. It's like you said, you know, every day I fail, but Christ didn't. And see, that's yeah. the point of – because those of us who have been brought to penitent faith in Christ and baptized into his name and baptized into him, we are in Christ. And That's so, right. you know, we are in him. He's, he's the guy who's defeated sin. He's the guy who literally conquered the devil, conquered the grave, and we are in him. And so That's right. if... If I I listen, I got nothing. I literally I got nothing. If I, yeah. I I have no choice at this point except for to bet all the blue chips on Jesus. And if if he didn't conquer, then I'm doomed, and I know it. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. And 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 it's so encouraging to know that, uh, you know, it's mind blowing the fact that God loves you know Chris Rosenbro and Javon McKenzie, uh you know, as much as he ever will, like if me and you live perfect for the next 50 years, even though that's impossible, but let's just say we could do everything with the right motive, you know, the right action at the right time, everything, it still doesn't add one ounce to God's love that he already has for us. And if if we, if you just fall horribly this week or something crazy, it still doesn't change the fact that God loves you exactly the same and nothing that you've done changes his mind right. that you're already his, that you've been bought with a price. And so that, that, that's encouraging. And that makes you not want to sin. Uh, like you were saying earlier, just grieved and, and, uh, going to bed at night, like, Lord, forgive me, have mercy, you know, on me. And, and, and so a lot of people, you know, I heard Christians that's like, you know, there's, there's Christians out there, even reformed Christians that don't like, um, that don't like, you know, when you use the term, like, man, I'm a wretched man. And, you know, they're like, but you've been changed. Like, yes, I have been changed. I've been changed by God's grace, but there's still so much sin. You know, the sin doesn't stop because I'm, I'm saved. You know, mm -hmm. there's a sanctification process. But uh, like I was saying earlier, the more you get, just like if you clean your house, you know, I heard this one example. If you clean your house, you know, you think it's all spot, so, you know, it's all tidy and stuff. And then you open up your blinds and you just see all that dust and you see the filth really hasn't gone anywhere. It looks nicer. Mm -hmm. but there's still so much filth and there's still bacteria. You know, if you get blood on your wall and you can bleach it or whatever, they can come in with those little uh, UV rays or whatever you call it. And the blood's still there. Yeah. 
You yeah. know, it looks it looks nicer. It look, you know, it's 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 better than it, it, it. The house is in better shape than it was before, but it's still filthy. It's it still will never be spotless. Like 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 you know, um, um, and, and the same thing with with Christians. We look at Christ. Like as long as we're in this flesh and on, on this earth until we're glorified, you know, we'll never be able to say we're completely like Jesus because we're not. You know, and uh, and and so I heard. Uh, I think it was Piper or somebody that said, you know, you're so sinful that. Not only is Christ interceding for you, but the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. You know, he lives inside of you and you still have to get up and pray and renew your mind daily. Yeah. And you still have to repent with with the Holy Spirit in you, with Christ at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. You being saved, changed, new nature, everything. You're still you still fall into sin, which just shows uh, how sinful we are. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's encouraging in the fact that, you know, Lord, like how, you know, like David said, what is man? Who is man that thou art mindful? You know, the more I grow in Christ, the more I really see there's no, not only do I see that there's nothing uh, in me that God should want or or there's no reason for God to save me. And he has every reason to damn me. But I also look in my heart and I and the more I grow in Christ, the more I really do see there's nothing. There's no way I could have chose God on my own. You know, the, desire, the the stuff that's in my heart and my mind, it's only Christ. There's no way that, you know, how people say, oh, I just, you know, I really wanted God. So therefore I got saved. Like, no, I can't, I can't say that. I, I would have kept going my own way, you yeah. know, and I would have rejected God every time. The more I know about God, the more I see that outside of his grace, I would not want God. Yeah. And so it just provokes worship because, you know, like, man, and it, and it helps you in going back to what we were saying earlier about compassion, you know, when you really understand, you know, that's why it's it's such a, a contradiction to be reformed and be arrogant or to be prideful, you know, to look down on others. It's like, how can you know the doctrines of grace and struggle, you know, with pride like we do or struggle with anxiety, knowing God is sovereign and knowing that, guess what, this heretic over here or this guy who's lost or even this brother over here who's just doctrine isn't doesn't all line up, but he's a brother, you know, it's so easy to look down on him. But when you understand even the very doctrine, you know, is only because of God's grace. It's not that you were just so smart and you figured it out. Mm -hmm. God opened your eyes when he felt ready. And this other brother over here who is not fully reformed or whatever, God has not chosen to open his eyes. So who are you to look down on him? Because the only difference is God's grace. Yeah. You know, so that should be more pray for him. Pray for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's right. You know, I, I think of uh, the Apostle Paul's words, you know, in the opening to First Timothy, which was one of his last letters. I mean, this is you know, one of the last letters before he's going to be beheaded. And yeah. um, he, he says this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And then he says, but I received mercy. So for that, this reason that in me as the chief of sinners, Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul goes on to point out the fact that the fact that he was the chief of sinners was exactly what Christ was looking for so that Jesus could demonstrate to the rest of us how patient he is towards those who believe in him, that he's patient uh, towards sinners and, uh, and 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 that we're to believe in him for eternal life and come we come at the on the same grounds as the apostle Paul if he considered mm-hmm. himself to be the chief of sinners 
we should consider ourselves to be nothing less than the same. And our lives mm-hmm. should be demonstrating the fact that God is patient and that he is That's merciful right. towards those who believe in him. So patient and merciful. Look at the grace and mercy that he shows to Chris and to Jovan jo McKenzie, you know? Amen. That's right. And, um, you know, so that's what I've been learning, man. Just, um, just really, really examining myself, you know, um, you know, next year I will, you know, my album will go back to more evangelistic, uh, but just with a different mindset, you know, just really seeing more of God's grace and understanding, uh, his mercy. And like you said, you brought up the key word patience, you know, and that's how we need to be with our wives. That's how we need to be with our children. That's how we need to be with our with our local bodies. You know, when we don't agree on every single thing, and uh, that's how we need to be even with with Facebook and and just different things. You know, we need to have patience with brothers who um, you know don't ha- have it all together because none of us do. You know, and the more you know, like it says in Ephesians, forgive be- uh, as you have been forgiven. Yeah. You know, because you've been forgiven, you know, if we kept that as the model, we would never struggle with forgiveness. But the reason we struggle with it is because we don't really contemplate on uh, Christ's forgiveness. You know, we don't really think about, wow, who am I to hold a grudge against my wife over something this small when I've been sinning against God all day? And, you know, and, and he constantly forgives and, and, you know, he's fully forgiven me in Christ, right. you know, so it just shows how prideful we are when we're like, you know, you gossiped about Chris Rosenbro, how dare you, do you know who I am? Or you gossiped about Javon McKenzie, how dare you, you know, I'm, I'm on the throne. And it's like, no, you're nobody, you, you, you know, a sinner gossiped about another sinner who yeah. both deserve hell. So forgive and keep moving, you know, but because of our pride, you know, we feel like, man, you, you've, you've crossed me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like not somebody else, but you did it to me. You've offended me. I'm the highest, you know, creature. So therefore I cannot forgive you. You know, Christ forgive me. I'm going to ask Christ for forgiveness tonight, but I will not forgive you. You know, and it just shows, man, our, our pride, you know, and it just shows like, Lord, you know, humble us. He resists the proud and gives uh, grace to the humble, yeah. you know, and, 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 and so just that haughtiness, man, uh, even on, on the album, I have a song called Pride, you know, where I just talk about, you know, hey, like, you know, struggling with pride and, and, and who am I? Who do I think I am? You know, I'm not I am not Christ, you know, and even with Christ, when you look at Philippians two uh, and that that should crush all of our pride. The knowing that, you know, uh, he was God and he is God and in the flesh and, and how the fact that he was so humble, you know, I couldn't have, you know, if they would have told me, prove your God, get off the cross. You know, I would have came down. Mm hmm. You know, I want to prove to you, but it shows how confident and it shows there's no insecurities with God because, you know, our pride comes from even our insecurity. You know, if somebody says, Chris Rosenbro, you're not who you say you are, you know, in our flesh, we want to prove it. Why? Because we want to prove ourselves to other people. Right. You know, we want to show people that we are who we think we are, but God doesn't have to show you anything. You know, that's why atheists can say, send us a sign and prove your God right now. God's not jumping off the throne like, I got to prove it to him. I got to make them believe like, no, he's God. He's confident in himself. And because we're insecure and our security is supposed to come from Christ, you know, we struggle with that pride. So when a guy's like, oh, man, you know, somebody may gossip or somebody may say something on Facebook, we automatically feel like we need to defend ourselves because we're not resting fully in the in the righteousness of Christ and saying I'm accepted by God. I don't I don't need I don't need your approval. I don't have to jump out my seat in my general and start rushing because I want to prove a point. No, you can think what you want. But guess what? I know what God thinks about perfect righteousness because of the work of Christ. That's right. That's right. It's awesome. That's right. Perfect righteousness because of Christ, him, him. And 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 the more I, I really contemplate my own sin and I wanted to come back and say something, you know, when we ask Christ for forgiveness, I think that uh, 
it's yeah. important that when we do that, it's it's always in the context of of the Lord's prayer or something similar. Because the, right. the petition is, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us." And That's right. you you pray that on a daily basis, and that second half of that petition will uh, it, it'll grind down some uh, some hard edges that need to be ground down. You know, it's That's right. you know I I think there's a reason why. Uh, we need to be praying that daily, and, and Jesus really expects us to pray it daily because we're praying for daily bread, not for much more, you know? Yeah, um, that's right. You know, but th- the one thing that I'm really coming to grips with is is this idea that, you know, Jesus talks about the fact that, you know, that God is not like us. His ways are yeah. not our ways. And when you really push on that, you really push on that, the one thing I'm really— uh, becoming convinced of it in Scripture is that God really is patient. He really is kind. He really That's is right. gracious. He really is merciful and slow to That's anger right. and abounding in steadfast love. And he's forgiving. And I look at humanity, and I don't mean out there humanity, you know, like what I see yeah, on yeah. the news. I look at humanity <laughs> like under my roof okay yeah, in, in, yeah. The, in the mirror i look in the mirror and and i realize i'm by nature my inclinations and everything about me is not like that it's something different and yeah and it grieves me and it grieves me in a way that makes me say i i i want to know more about god because of how patient he is with me. I I tell people from time to time, I said that one of the true scandals of, of uh, the gospel and, and uh, salvation by grace is that there are going to be people in heaven. They're going to see Chris Rosebro and they're going to go, no way, not him. He shouldn't be here. Yeah, but they they missed the point. They missed the point. None of us should be there. And, that, and that's that's the grace of, you know, um, um, I heard uh, Paul Washer say, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool. I heard Paul Washer say, um, you know, sometimes we can be so I think he he didn't say this verbatim, but this is pretty much what he was saying. He was like, we as Christians can be so hypocritical uh, at times, like even looking at Satan. You know, it's easy to look at Satan and be like, you know, I hate you and I can't wait till God judges you. And yeah, that's true. Like he is our enemy uh, at the same time. The only difference between us and Satan is grace. Yeah. You know, that that's it. You know, Satan, Satan, the only difference is God, God could have redeemed the angels if he really wanted to. You know, he could have, he could have, he could have sent Christ as an angel or he could have done anything. He, you know, he's God. You know, there's no specific way he has to do salvation. You know, he chose to use the cross. And so, uh, you know, God could have redeemed the angels. He could have granted them repentance. He could allow them to never fall. You know, uh, and so when I look at, when I look at, uh, and, and, and think about this, Chris, not only God's grace, like you said, about his patience and his forgiveness on earth, but think of the fact that, you know, God gave them a will to be able to sin in heaven. And when we when we die and go to be with Christ, he will never allow us to sin. Right. You know, can you imagine if God said, Chris, you're saved, you're going to heaven. But when you get there, it's up to you. If you if you if you do anything I don't like, you're out of there. Yeah, no. You know, it'll be just like the angels. It'll just be like Adam and Eve. You know, the first time you mess up, you're gone. Like, man, I, I would be like, just send me to hell now because there's no way, you know, I, I know who I am. Like, there's no hope. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're basing it on me, there is no hope. If you're basing on Chris Rosenbrough, there's no hope. And that's the glory. That's the grace and the encouragement that we get looking at the cross and looking at, wow, like it's really complete in Christ. You know, it's really, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, it's really all done in Christ. And so when you look at Satan and, uh, you know, you look at the fact that there is no redemption for him, not because he's just the worst person ever. No, because God didn't grant him grace. Just like you look at Esau and Jacob, yeah. you know, Esau. Uh, I hated Jacob. I love. Why was it? Because when you look at their lives, you would say, God, I think you made a mistake. You you need to be uh, you need to be down with Esau. Jacob is the one that deserves hell. You know, Jacob's the one who doesn't deserve repentance. You know, when you look at their lives and then you say, like, God, how could you choose? How could you be the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I understand maybe Abraham or Isaac, but even them, you know, they had sin. And so when you look at the fact, it's like nothing they had to do, but for the purpose of election could stand. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the older shall serve the younger. It had nothing to do with them. And so when I look at my life, you know, I could have easily been, you know, Judas. Chris Rosenbrock could have easily been Judas yeah. or, or Caiaphas or, or Pilate or, or any of these guys. So it's like, Lord, you know, I, God didn't come to us and say, hey, Chris, when do you want to be born, man? What parents would you like? What color would you like to be? How tall would you like? No, he did everything on his own. Yeah. Before the foundations you know, of the earth. Amen. Amen. So it's like, man, when you see that and you realize that it's like, you know, it provokes worship. It's like, praise God that he would save somebody sinful uh, and as wretched as us, as me and you and, and our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so and all that should spur down, all that should come down to displaying it, you know, to show it, to say to show, you know, uh, to really forgive, to be forgiven is to forgive. You know, so a lot of people get it backwards. They think, well, if I don't forgive this brother, then God won't forgive me. And they're missing the point. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't forgive so that you can be forgiven. That's not what Jesus is really saying. He's saying if you forgive, it shows you've been forgiven. That's correct. That's... You know, he's not, he's not preaching works righteousness and in, 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 on the Sermon on the Mount. He's showing you that he is our righteousness and that he is the true salvation. And so, you know, people look at, you know, blessed is the merciful. So we're saying, oh, okay, if I show mercy, then God will show me mercy. No, you're missing it. If God has shown you mercy, then you will show mercy. As a result, it'll flow out of your heart because of what the, the, the effects of grace that have caught that have come into your life. And so a lot of people look at that and say, well, okay, these are what I need to do to get to heaven. I need to be meek. I need to, I need to be persecuted. I need, no, you're missing it. You know, you're missing, you're missing what the sermon on the Mount is all about. It's really pointing. It's really Jesus preaching about himself. Right. He is, he is, he is meek. He is all these things. Yeah. But notice it says blessed are, it doesn't say blessed will be, you know, that's right. (laughs) You know, you know, you know, yeah, there's, there, yeah, you're, you're kind of missing the grammar there if you're thinking that this is a list of things you got to do. No, 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 no. You know, blessed are you know, and you, the, this, this, this is something that's given to you to be, and um, you know, and that's right. And and the thing that um, I think I want everyone to you know to understand and hear is that uh, you know in the day to day grind that is uh, the challenges that we face here in the church that what we really want for people is to experience and to be forgiven the same way we're forgiven. That's really what what we want. We want for them the same freedom from sin that we have. We want them to have the same peace with God that we have. And when when we rail against false doctrine and false teachers and what they're doing, it's not railing against them for the sake of railing, but for them to hear the rebuke and repent and be forgiven and be set free. That's that's, right. that's really what it's all about because you know at the end of the day 
you know, you, you think about the death of, uh, of Paul Crouch of TBN and, and, you know, yeah. I, I heard the news and I was sad. I yeah. was absolutely sad because I know the passage of scripture that says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does not yeah. delight in their deaths. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's absolutely an utter tragedy that this man yeah. went to his death enslaved to the idol of money, believing yeah. Yeah. in te- and believing in teaching that he was a little God and that he can create yeah. his destiny with his words. It's absolutely yeah. a tragic, horrible thing that he goes into eternity and now has to face God not and not hear God's well done, but hear, depart from me, I never knew you, because he held on to a false god and a false gospel and fleeced That's people right. in the name of Jesus and blasphemed his name. And you, and you sit there and you look at somebody like a Paul Crouch and you go, yeah. That's me if Christ had not straightened me out. And you want you want right. people to be straightened out so that they do not hear, have to hear from Christ, apart from me, I never knew you. But instead, well done, come into you know, the joy of my Father. This is what we want to hear Christ say to us, but it's not by anything that we've done that will, that will give us that. And it's all yeah. given to us as a gift, and we're called to repent and let God go and stop hanging on to and being enslaved to these sins and agree with God that they're evil. Agree that this is false doctrine. Agree that you're worshiping a false idol and be set free by the only true God who can set you free. That's right. And, 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 you know, I want to tackle what you said about even Paul Crouch, you know, um, it's like you said, it's a very sad thing, you know, um, of course when anybody dies, but especially those who are uh, enemies of the cross, and, and those who have worked against the kingdom, you know? Um, and so, uh, you can hear me, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure my phone is, uh, it's a heretical phone. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my, um, you know, so, so with, with, uh, Paul Crouch, you know, that's a very sad, we need to pray for the family and we need to pray that this would lead to, you know, the salvation of his wife and, you know, that God would, would, would change, you know, even maybe change that network, you know, to promote the true gospel and to, to stop promoting these enemies of the cross. And, um, you know, the sad thing is, you know, uh, you, you know, I, I understand we need to be sensitive, uh, you know, to, to people mourning and stuff like that. And at the same time, there needs to be some clarity brought as far as the word of faith teaching. Where was his healing? Yeah. You know, where, where, where was the question that needs to be asked? You know, we can't avoid it and act like, oh, you know, it's just his time to go. Yeah, that's true. It was his time to go. But it, his death totally contradicts the word of faith movement. Yep. You know, where was, where was, where was, uh, 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 uh you know, Gloria Copeland who claims she can rebuke the weather. You know, why didn't they rebuke his cancer? Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the coroner report doesn't say that he died. You know, he just died of natural causes or like the Lord took him. No, he died because he lost the cancer Yeah, to a sickness that, you know, with all the money that he had, he couldn't sow a seed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that to be funny or sarcastic, but, you know, this this is something that the word of faith movement, they need to take into consideration, you know, and I know some people they'll make an, they'll try to probably try to make an excuse and say, oh, well, he just, you know, he was just ready to go. So he didn't want to No, no, let's get to the real issue. You know, this is this is an example. One of the biggest promoters of that movement and supporters of that movement died to what he said that God that Christ gave us that we that we should never have that sickness is a curse. Yeah. You know, so according to their own theology, he died cursed. Yep. 
you know and so so this is the this is the hypocrisy uh that comes out of uh that movement and it's sad that it takes somebody dying for people to see it and even his death many people will will just you know they won't even try to consider the fact that you know uh that this contradicts their their movement but and th- this is why we need to lovingly um you know, preach the gospel and how Jude says, contend for the faith. You know, a lot of people look at it when you're dealing with false teaching, uh, you know, and, and they'll look at it. Oh, man, you're just mean. You're just harsh. And, you know, you're just you're just you're just judgmental. And it's like, well, well, we have to. And, you know, if I knew that a school was molesting children or, or showing children pornography or showing children, you know, uh, homosexuality, that's OK to be gay. And I didn't say nothing. You know how many parents would be outraged? Or if I knew that a restaurant was serving poison that would cause you to die, that that would cause your children not to see 18, everybody would want me locked up. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that I knew this information, but the fact that I know that people are going to hell under damnable doctrine and I'm warning people now I'm unloving, you know, now, now, now I'm, and, and at times I have been unloving because of my, you know, my, 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 you know, because of my sin and, and my own pride and stuff like that. Um, but, but by God's grace, I'm growing in grace and, but people, and I'll, I'll never stop letting people know that guess what this, these people are, are against the cross. They're false. And if you follow them, your way, your their path is destruction. And and how Jesus said with the Pharisees, not only are they not going to heaven, but they're preventing others from going to heaven. And so when I look at false teachers, when I look at uh, people who preach damnable heresy, and you know, this is not talking about, you know, we're not talking about people who don't believe in the tulip. Mm-hmm. You know, or people who don't believe in infant baptism or or Baptists or uh, you know, or Presbyterians. We're not talking about amill versus postmill or pre-mill or dispensationalism, you know, and 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 you know, we're not talking about these things or whether the gifts ceased or not, or you know, we're talking about damnable heresy. Right. Um things that will keep you that things that will, will cause you to end up in hell for believing you know, cultish things. And so, you know, we should be loving enough to use this uh, as an example and, and continue, as as it says in Jew, to contend for the faith, you know, uh, uh, and, and to warn people, warn people of TBN uh, and, and, and most of their messages, of, which are heretical, warn people of, of these guys, uh, regardless of how people look at us. And of course, we don't need to be jerks about it. You know, there's a way that we can do it in love to show our compassion uh, and, and to be clear. And, you know, we don't have to be jerks, but we, it needs to be done. You know, and the people that just think that, you know, it shouldn't be done. Those those people are the unloving ones. You know, those 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 are the people that don't really care about souls like they say they do, mm-hmm. because if you care about souls, there's no way you can tell me, you know, people are going to hell and you're not saying nothing. Well, I know they believe damnable doctrine, but who am I to judge? Like, you know, no, like the scripture is clear now. You know, like I said, you know, people, you know, people will say what they want to say. But there's a difference between judging righteous judgment and human judgment, how, how the scripture says in John, I think it's 724, mm-hmm. where Jesus says, uh, judge with righteous judgment. You know, if I tell somebody, hey, man, you you watch sports, you're going you're going to hell. You know, you know, that's that's human judgment. That's a false judgment. I need to repent of that. Well, it, you know, it, it depends a, on the team you're rooting for, though, I think. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not if you're not a Baltimore Raven fan or a Miami Heat fan, then you're definitely <laughs> Wait, 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 I root for the Colts. What are you talking about? Oh man, that's horrible, brother. That's that's a whole nother podcast. Andrew Unlucky, no luck. Andrew No Luck. Oh, but, uh, oh man, man, that's heresy right but, uh, there. <laughs> that's sports heresy. Like uh but uh but yeah, so you know, but if I tell you, look, man, you're denying 
the Trinity. You're denying the triune nature of God, which is clearly revealed in Scripture. Right. And know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the, the doctrine is clearly in the Scriptures. Yep. You know, or you're denying that Jesus was a man or that Jesus is God. You know, these things, you will not enter heaven believing this damnable stuff. You need to repent. Yep. And so people people don't think that's loving, you know, um, but but it's really not loving to to hide truth from people. You know, and so and so that's my thing, man. You know, even the Paul Crouch, you know, we need to be praying for his family and praying that God would change TBN because he can change it and use it for his glory or he can or he can he can continue to use it uh, for people who have itching ears that don't want God. Yeah. but want the prosperity message. And, and and there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong. You know, there, the Bible doesn't say you can only have this much money and everything else is sin, you know? So it's okay to have money and, and it's okay to want to make money, but the love of money uh, uh, is, is, is a root of all kind of evils. You know, the love of, you know, being greed, how the Bible talks about filthy lucre yeah. uh, and, and, and stuff like that. Those are sins, but it's not a sin to, 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 to be blessed. It's not a sin to, you know, to have finance finances, not a sin to be, to want to be healthy. You know, I don't think anybody's like, man, Lord, just give me cancer. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, no, we want to be healthy, but if we, if we get sick, it's to God's glory. It's not, it doesn't make us not children of God. It doesn't mean our faith lacks. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean none of this stuff. It just means that God is sovereign and this is a trial that he has given us to conform us to Christ's image. So I pray that people would see that, man. Right. And, and I think as Christians, we, we also need to understand that yes, death is an enemy. Death is the last enemy and Christ has, has conquered it. And so, um, you know, a, a bad theology, you know, and a false gospel will have you put your faith and trust in a false God or a false thing. And at the end of the right. day, when you're, when you're on your deathbed, the false gospel cannot give you any comfort because, you know, no you know, you think about, you know, what, what could have been going through uh, Paul Crouch's head as he's, as yeah. he knows that death is literally lurking in his own room and, you know, at any moment yeah. going to strike. And he, yeah. he knows he's getting ready to die. And how many times has he told people on TBN or allowed preachers on TBN to, to say that, oh, Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. Therefore, you can rebuke cancer and, you you know, just sow a seed yeah. and show God your faith. And he sees yeah. the complete collapsing of his own theology at, at that point, in what is he going to trust? What, at, what right. is his hope? You know, but, right. but we, because we understand that we are in Christ and he has conquered death and we are saved by grace alone, through yeah. faith alone, that you know, somebody as sinful as I can be, you know, can go to heaven and be with Christ, not because of anything I've done, but because he's the one who's conquered. On, on, yeah. on my deathbed, I can say... Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the experience of dying, but I can tell you this, yeah. when when it's all done, you know, whatever the experience is, yeah. I know that when I open my eyes that right after they are done closing, I'm going to see Jesus, you know? That's right. And I That's think, right. Because there's nothing here for me. There's nothing. Yeah. You know, That's I don't right. Why on earth do people set their minds and their hearts on anything here? Yeah, we're sojourners. Yeah. We're passing through. Our lives are a mist and a vapor. And that's right. Why on earth would you store up for yourself 
garbage here that you can't even yeah. take with you. You know, that people can steal, that you have to buy expensive security systems to protect and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. Why on earth would anybody do something of the sort? Because you know you have a date with death. You don't know when that date is, but it's coming for you. Sure. You know? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's why we need to, uh, you know, keep preaching the gospel, being faithful. Um, you know, of course, even preaching it to ourselves right. and being in fellowship and, and communion with God. And, you know, and that, like you said, that's that's an encouraging thing. But it's also a scary thing knowing that every man is appointed deaf. And, you know, like I tell people, even when I'm witnessing to him, we all have the same court date. Yep. You know, you may die at different times, but there's one judgment day. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll all stand before God, you know, and give an account, you know. So it's like that that's one uh, you know, that's a you know, a court date you can't get out of. You can't reschedule and you, you know, you, you know, you can't you can't, you know, um put it off, you can't post bail, none of that stuff. And you know, and 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 that's a that's a scary thing, but also comforting thing and knowing my hope is not like the world. My their hope is in what they what they do. You know, their hope is in that them and God can got something worked out, you know, that God understands like, oh, God understands you're a sinner, you know, just like, you know, simple people, they, they love to say only God can judge me and they don't understand that's that's to your own condemnation. Right. That's the that's the problem. Only God can judge you. If I could judge you, I'd probably give you some 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 mercy and say, hey, I sin just like you. I understand. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, but God, He does, He is going to judge you, and that's the scary thing. That 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 should that should scare you. That should cause you to really reflect and be like, man, I need, you know, there's no hope. Um, and and so you know, and that and that's the comforting thing. So like you said about the Paul Crouch thing, man, it's it's definitely sad, and you know, it's sad even in a, not a, just an eternal sense that people are going to lose their souls. Uh, their souls are already, of course, we know, you know, they're born lost. But, you know, not only people are, 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 are dying and going to hell thinking that they're going to heaven, but also even in a temporal sense, even the struggles that they have, uh, you know, so many people have lost homes and have been sick and, and thought God. And so many people have turned from the faith thinking that, you know, that that Christianity is a lie because they were told that their son was going to be healed and God never healed them. And so now they look at it as well. The Christian God must not be real. Yeah, this is Christ, this is what Christianity teaches. So and instead of them looking at, oh, these are the false teachers that the Bible describes, they'll look at it and say, oh, Christianity is false. Yep. That's so right. Because the God, the God, they, they preach that this is supposed to happen. And so they bring, you know, uh, how, how the Bible says, you know, calls the Gentiles to blaspheme his name. You know, that's what they do. These, these, these you know, these TBN guys and different people, they cause uh, the unbelievers to mock God. And, and, and so a lot of unbelievers, and, and that's the crazy thing. When you when you talk to a lot of unbelievers, there's rarely unbelievers that actually know the true gospel. Yeah. You know, uh, um, that that will confess that they're just unbelievers, that they don't believe in it. You know, most people that don't believe in it have come across some type of false gospel yeah. or they have some type of distorted view uh, of, of what Christianity and what the Bible says. There's only a few people that I've ran into that can actually tell me, oh, uh, you know, like I met a guy that told me straight up, like, yeah, if you if you're he's lost, he's like, hey, if you if you're a Christian, you should know God chooses who he wants. Hmm. And they're lost. They're like, I don't believe in God. But if you know, but if you're a Christian, you're supposed to know that God chooses and He sends the hell we he wants and He saves who He wants. But these are non-believers coming, and so a lot of people, man, they're just they're just basing their their view of Christianity off of false Christianity. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
It let, you know, we're, 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 we're running up on an hour, and I, I want to leave on a gospel note and then uh, give, give people uh, the, the information on where they can find your new album. Um, okay. You, 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 you made a great point, and I, I love the way you say it. We all have the same court date. <laughs> That's right. That, I, you know, I, you know I'm going to steal it, but uh, I want everybody to know that you know, moving <laughs> forward, I've, I've footnoted this. You know, so you know, see Jovan McKenzie interview. <laughs> uh, but you're right. We all have the same court date. And yep. you know, on that court date, Jesus is not going to say to me, "Oh, you know, I'm so happy to see you, Chris. All oh, those works that you've done, oh, you, they've real, <laughs> they've really done it, done you good. You know, you yeah. you 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 have earned you have earned heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's not what the scripture says. Here's what the scripture says in Colossians two, and you you were dead." Dead, 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 dead in your trespasses sure. and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God has made alive to get made us together alive with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. You know, the, yeah. this, it, that's in the, in the Greek. It's so you know, it's this it's this idea that there's like some certificate of wrongs that's that's noted all the things that we've committed. Right, this record yeah. of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he has set that aside and he has nailed it to the cross. I mean, the picture there in Colossians is that there's that record of debt that would have been in the pages of the book of the book that uh, tells the story of our life, right? Because yeah. always the day of judgment is is depicted in Scripture as the day when the books are open, right? Yeah, and. Yeah. Here is here, here's the page ripped out of the book, the page right. that has the record of debts and all of its legal demands that stand against us. And he's taken that out of the book and he's literally nailed it to the cross. And I, right. the, the, the picture is there of you can almost see on that page that's been ripped out of the book in red letters with the blood of Christ, debt paid in full. That's right. That's, that's right. the gospel, and that's Amen. anybody who stands on the last day, on the same day that we all have our court date. That's yeah. that's the thing that is that saves us. That that's and right. that alone, God's declaration that you are not guilty. He's ripped the page out of the book with the page yeah. that has yeah. everything that says that what you've done wrong that stands against you it's out so when you yeah. op- when the book is opened you're going to notice that there's a page missing <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's it's, it's all done in, in in Christ man and that's like i said that's the encouraging thing of knowing that man, your sin is, you know, is wiped away. And not that God forgets, like he has, you know, memory lapse. He knows every sin you've ever committed, but it's not held against you. Right. You know, it's not, it's not there to condemn you. It can't, you know, like Paul says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? You can't, what can you say? Look, when you look at the life of Christ, what can you say about Javon McKenzie? Oh, he failed at this. He did this. Oh man, he was unloving today or he did this. Yes. And, and, and that needs to be repented of at the same time, I'm going to heaven by God's grace. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, God's not basing it. He's not keeping a record like we do. We keep all oh, man, you know, this brother gossiped about me last week. I'm still holding it against them. Like, no, God's not like that if we're in Christ. Right. 
Yeah. You know, once once we accept Christ, once we truly repent of our sins and, and, and put our faith in him by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are no longer held, you know, to our, our sins. You know, we, we've been cleansed and washed. And so, you, like you said, man, Colossians is a, is a great passage to go to yeah. uh, just about the gospel, man, and just letting people know, like, you know, it's only in Christ. That's right. It's only in Christ. So the name of your album is Seduction of Self, and it really yes. deals with you know the wrestlings of your own sinful flesh and that we we all share and it's it's just a fantastic album and uh, tell it tell the listeners how they can get a hold of this album yes uh seduction itself you can um they can actually go to uh javon mckenzie.com that's j-o-v-a-n-m-a-c-k-e-n-z-y that's javon mckenzie.com and they can actually, uh, when they go to it, I believe is there's an intro page. You click on it, it takes you right to the seduction. It'll show you the seduction of self cover, and um, they can download that album actually for free. Uh, it's no cost, and there's actually four other albums of sound theology that they can download as well. So that's five albums that they can download for free. And um, I also have a link, uh, a donation link, a button on my uh, website if people, because this is what I do full time. So if people like to donate to keep, you know, to keep me going, putting out quality music and being able to evangelize and stuff like that, then they can also feel free to contribute also. Right. And which I, that just takes a lot of faith on your part. You know, here you're, you're not charging anybody to download the album and you're trusting that if they're finding it uh, as something that's valuable, that they'll that they'll support your work. And, uh, yep. you know, which is. You know, that's that's not how you're supposed to – how are you supposed to buy a mansion if you're doing that, you know? <laughs> I guess I have to wait to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, so – Well, yeah, man, I, I, I hope people are encouraged by it. And like you said, man, if they want to – you know, I definitely appreciate everybody, you, brother, for supporting – um, having me on the show again and, and, you know, everybody that has supported that's listening. I thank you. And those that will support, I definitely thank you. It definitely keeps me going, being able to put out quality music. So their donations, prayers, encouragement, um, everything really helps and goes a long way. Well, thank you. Well, Joe Vaughn, hey, Lord's blessings to you. And thanks for coming on the air with me today. Hey, thank you, brother. God bless. Have a blessed day, man. All right. You too. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.